Hello everyone and welcome to episode 149 of Otaku Brothers. My name is Rusty and this morning I am welcoming back a very good friend of the show after just over two years. Steve, also known on the interwebs as Blink. Steve, how the heck are you doing, my friend? I'm doing pretty dang good. I appreciate you having me back after our last conversation. Episode 149, yeah, that's a solid number. It's what, if we were a Pokemon, we'd be Dragonite? Is that the Dragonite Pokedex entry, I think? So. Yeah, that's up there. That's, that's raw power. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to have you back. And, you know, my usual co-host, Ryan, he's taking a step back right now, focusing on some RL things. And I wanted to just bring back some of our favorite guests over the course of our 149 episode span here on Otaka Brothers. And today, I think we have just an action-packed agenda. I don't even know if we're going to be able to get to it all because we have so much to catch up on, so much to talk about. But for the listeners, welcoming them in, if this is your first time tuning into Otaka Brothers, my co-host Ryan and I tend to talk about video games, TV shows, movies, anything we dang darn please here on Otaka Brothers. But today... Steve and I are going to talk about some of the things that I think we love most as it relates to games. We're going to talk about the games we've been playing recently. I've got to pick Steve's brain about what he's been doing the past two years, and I'm sure he's been doing a whole heck of a lot. And then (laughs) in the back half of the show, we're going to talk about PlayStation trophies in our pretty heated rivalry, I would say, over the past year or two. Are you excited to talk about trophies, Steve? I am. You know, it's it's been back and forth, too. It's been a genuine rivalry. I think the people will be interested to see uh, exactly how non-contentious it really is. But uh, yeah, I'm quite excited to talk some trophies. That'll be good. And then one of my favorite genres in games, and I think one of yours also, is 3D mm-hmm. platformers. And we don't get enough of them nowadays. And I think it, it only makes sense to talk about three to five of some of our underappreciated hidden gem 3D platformers that you and I love. So we're each going to come to the table. I don't know how many you brought, but I brought five. We'll talk about that in the tail end of the show. So just buckle up. I hope this episode finds everyone well. You're all cozied up on the couch. Maybe you have your feet kicked up. You're drinking a nice pumpkin spice latte, maybe a pumpkin ale. We're still in the spooky season, Steve. True. We're in the very tail end of it. Are we still in it when the time this episode comes out? We will be. I'm going to do everything in my power to get this episode out the door later today. Wow. So, okay. Nice. Yeah. We mean business here on the Talker Brothers. We run a tight uh, tight schedule here. So, um, but yeah, no, I hope it finds everyone well. And if this is your first time tuning into Otaki Brothers, welcome. It's going to be, like I said, a pretty jam-packed agenda today. But Steve, I did the math, a little back of the napkin math, and it's actually been... 783 days since we last talked on Otaka Brothers. Can you believe it? Oh, I mean, I can kind of believe that. Not because I like it, but because that helps explain the giant hole in my heart left since the last time we joined. I I won't lie. When I heard that, you know, Ryan was stepping back for a little bit, you know, had to focus on some other stuff. Mostly seems like he's focusing on getting platinum trophies, which I respect. Um... I was, I was like, oh, I hope I could come back on. I love the Otaku Bros, and I want, I want to talk to Rusty again. I, I appreciate that. That's so kind of you. You were just waiting for me to kind of slip into your DMs and say, mm-hmm. "Hey, Blink, you want to talk trophies? You want to talk 3D platformers?" And uh, thankfully, you were like, "Just time and place, time and place, buddy." And I'm there. 
Yep. And uh, so, so here true. we are behind the microphones to talk about all of it. But when we had you on last, it was episode 90. Again, we're on episode 149 now. And anytime we have a guest on the show, we tend to kind of chat them up, try to take them back to their humble beginnings when they were first picking up a controller, playing games for the first time. What are your, some of your favorite games, your earliest memories playing games? But since we've already done that, I would encourage the listeners to either pause this episode and go back to that one, or just go check it out after this one. Or maybe you don't at all, because Steve actually sounded like he was calling in on um, a tin can <laughs> tied to string. Um, yeah. Not the fault of you, Steve. That is that is definitely my bad. We were had we didn't really have a very professional setup at that point, so I apologize for that. Oh, that's okay. You you can just be honest. I recorded the episode. You know, doing 70 down the highway with all the windows open in my car. And you did the best you could with the audio. I respect it. It's very true. It's very true. But episode 90, PSA graded Gem Blink 10 is the name of the episode. <laughs> we, of course, were listening to that infamous clip from YouTube that our good friend Pete Dorr found out there where uh, Betty and that one sales guy was trying to sell PSA graded uh, Gem Mint 10 Pokemon cards. And it was... Uh, it was pretty funny. It's a pretty funny time. I haven't thought of that video in in a, in a little while. I might have to go back after this recording and watch it again. It's it's so good. It really is. Yeah, I don't really know the exact YouTube name, but if you go into YouTube and just say PSA graded Gem Mint 10 Pokemon card sale or something like that, you'll find this um what was the what was the program that was on daytime television like um, sell, selling things at home or whatever it is. And I don't know. It, it's it's one of the best videos that you can find on YouTube nowadays for sure. And uh, I've actually saved down the video and downloaded it just because it's so good. And I eventually I feel like it's going to just disappear randomly, you know, because that's how things happen on the internet. Yeah, it's definitely not something that people would understand that there's this weird small sh- offshoot of the internet that regularly appreciates it or references it all the time. They, they just uploaded it probably on some automatic process. And they're like, yeah, you know, we upload all of our episodes for their, you know, legal reasons. So if someone sues us, we can go back and check what we actually said live on air. But we're, we're here watching it like it's an episode of, I don't know, a, a, a modern Marvel show. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, yeah. So anyways, at the top of the show, I said, you know, we talk about oftentimes when we have guests on their humble beginnings, some of their earliest memories playing games. We've already done that. So go check out episode 90. Today, if you don't mind, Steve, I'd rather give you a live shout out for all the great things you're creating and sharing with the internet and the podcasting, YouTube, Twitch space. I want to hear about how you got into some of those things. So are you okay if I stroke your ego a little bit today? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. You're bucking bucking podcast etiquette here. You're, You're moving the plugs up. To the middle of the sh- to the front of the show, the but front. I appreciate you. I, yeah, we just got to do it right now, and we'll plug you at the end too. <laughs> Don't even worry about it. But we're recording this October 29th, ninth, twenty twenty two, and roughly two years and a month ago, you just joined. We just talked about him before we started recording. Your wizard of a co-host, Trav, on the Polykill podcast, which is True. terrific, by the way. Funny chemistry is just electric. And seemingly immediate, by the way, which you don't often find when people start a podcast. Typically, you know, there's a little bit of a getting to know you type of thing and understanding when to insert certain jokes. And you guys hit it off right off the bat Um, and just a treat to tune into every other week. But take me back. okay? you have the Paul McCartney of podcasting out there. 
a band member leaves the Polykill podcast, how do you sweep in and pick up the mic to kind of share the lead vocal spot with Trav? How did that happen? Yeah. So uh, I had, as of this time, this would have been, you know, somewhere around September-ish, uh, maybe August. I had just recently started a different project online. I was doing some Twitch streaming, which I still do. And I was uh, streaming. The very first game I ever streamed was a game that we we know and love, Dark Cloud. Mm-hmm. And just so happens to also be my co-host on Polykill, Trav's, not not his favorite maybe, but one of his favorite games of all time. He absolutely, he, he is an, a, a respectable appreciator of Dark Cloud. He gets it, as they say. And his co-host decided that he needed to step back. And so uh, Trav being a very, you know, this this speaks volumes to Trav. Trav said, okay, if I'm going to keep doing polykill, I don't just want to bring on like one of my, you know, one of my buddies. He's like, I want the polykill podcast to be as good as it can. Oh, yeah. And so he had been lurking in my streams, and I guess he thought, like, hey, this guy, you know, he's entertaining. He knows how to work a crowd a little bit. He's he's having fun. So he asked me to come on and be the co-host. I was originally like, I don't know, man. I'm not, like, even though I'm streaming right now, I don't really, like, put myself on the internet very much. And I'm like a nobody, like a true nobody online. But he's like, no, nope, come on, buddy. You're gonna, you'll do great. Come on, do it. And so I signed up. I agreed. And I'm glad that you say that the chemistry is good because uh, I think we maybe have mentioned this on the show or not. Um, but the very first Polykill episode is the first time I ever talked to Trav in person in my life. That was no our very way. first, very first live conversation. Uh, and so thankfully it was kind of like, you know, a little bit of sparks flying right out the gate. And then the rest is just history. That's amazing because you're, that is wild to figure out today because it did not seem like that back then. And I remember listening to some of those earlier episodes and it really felt like you guys had been doing that for quite some time. Just to, to, to know that that's the first episode you guys ever did together is, wow, that's definitely surprising. But you did mention something there that's also kind of takes me by surprise given how much you were tuning into you know, the, the YouTube gaming community back in like the 2008, 2012 timeframe. Big mm-hmm. on the All Gen Gamers podcast. Did you ever have any interest in starting your own YouTube channel back then? Or you kind of just like, hey, I'm perfectly content being an audience to all these people sitting in front of a camera in all its 240p glory, holding up copies of Enslaved Odyssey to the West and talking about it. <laughs> it's funny because back then, you know, in the early 2010s, it like it didn't even cross my mind. As odd as that sounds, because, you know, there was kind of like a boom and and basically everybody was doing it. But I was watching uh, all these excellent channels talk about the games they've been playing, the games they're picking up, uh, you know, reviews of various games, all sorts of stuff. You know, wonderful channels like Ari Lewis 2011 that I had been (laughs) watching for a long time. And it never it never crossed my mind to to record anything. I I think it's partly because I knew. And maybe in the back of my mind that I just didn't have access to any kind of camera in any way. You know, this predates for me, at least I think for everybody predates like really good phone cameras or anything. And I didn't have any home camera set up. My, my family, uh, who I was living with still at the time has never been much of like a video or picture family, which I kind of regret. I wish I had more like memories of my younger days 
Mm, I'll say this now to to all the parents out there, take a bunch of photos and a bunch of videos of your kid, even if they don't appreciate them now, when they're in their thirties and they're going back and playing whatever consoles they were playing when they're 10 years old, they're going to watch some videos of what they were doing back then too. But anyways, uh, so I, I never really, I never really thought to. And then I actually like, I think for me, like a lot of people, I fell off of watching like gaming stuff online for a handful of years as I was, you know, starting my career mm-hmm. and figuring life out. And then kind of once I got into a position in my career where I was comfy enough um, and like, you know, I, I work the type of office job where every now and again there's some downtime and you can have something up on the second monitor while you're working on a project or doing something tedious. Oh, yeah. Um, I started pulling up some of those old videos more regularly again and then that is what sort of lit the spark in me that it still took a few years for that spark to catch fire but then that second go around is when i was like all right now i think i could probably start making some stuff this seems fun that's awesome well i'm glad you did because a lot of the stuff that you do out there on the internet i always feel like is is comfy cozy it's very welcoming and inviting and for me you know i don't work a super stressful job but at the end of the day i do love kicking my feet up playing a nice game and having something going on in the background, whether it's a Twitch stream, it's a podcast. And I feel like the shows that you do and certainly your Twitch streams we'll, t- we'll talk about here shortly are very complimentary to that cozy kind of coming down from a long day type of feel. So thank you for, for jumping on the internet, Blink. We, we appreciate Aww. everything you do out there. I appreciate that. That's all we want it to be, right? We just want it to be cozy. We want everything we do online to just feel like like you're just chilling with your friends in the basement or something. Cause that's what I, that that's a lot of my gaming memories are me sitting with my buddies, you know, having a sleepover in middle school, playing Nintendo 64, playing like bot matches in perfect dark or smash bros 64 or something. So mm-hmm. everything I do online, I just want to, I want to capture that energy. Cause it's, it's what I think of when I think of good times gaming. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. And then two years ago, I think to the month, you also, started another podcast called Indie Quest, another great show, celebrating the indie and obscure video game scene with our good friend Frantic. How did that one come about? Because Josh and I were talking behind the scenes a little bit when we first started our Box Office Bliss podcast, because in 2020, I feel like everyone had more free time than they knew what to do with. So why not start Twitch stream? Why not start a YouTube channel? Something to kind of keep you busy. But Mm -hmm. how did Indie Quest come about? Honestly, <laughs> very similar story. Uh, I think Frantic had had the idea. So I, I should say IndieQuest, you know, in its current iteration, it is a, a shared project now between all three of us, myself, Frantic, and Captain Drachma. But in its original iteration, the, the, the very initial idea was definitely something that Frantic had. He wanted to talk about more indie stuff, and his other podcasts and his other vehicles weren't necessarily uh, a good avenue for it. Frantic Thoughts. You know, it's kind of by definition all over the place. It's it's frantic. And he also hosted the Cartridge Club podcasts from time to time. But, you know, that's one game a month. So you're, you're not yeah. getting the, the pace that you want for indie stuff. And I had streamed some indie games and we knew each other from, uh, you know, we run in the same Twitter circles and um, Polykill's Discord and all sorts of stuff. So we were aware of each other. And, um, he had seen me stream a couple of indie games. I think like Wander Song was one of the indie games I streamed oh, yeah. pretty early on, which is a phenomenal game, by the way, everyone go play Wander Song. What a game just so full of heart. So happy. Uh, yeah. So, so upbeat or so, so sweet. Um, but yeah, he saw that and he reached out and he's like, Hey man, do you like indie stuff? Do you want to, do you want to 
do this podcast? And I was like, sure. And then not, but two days later or a week later or whatever it was, um, then Trav reached out to me for Polykill. So suddenly I went from being on no podcasts to doing two different ones Dang. Uh, at the same time. So yeah, everyone should listen to Indie Quest. Very, very fun podcast. And uh, I, th- I think we do a good job bringing some good indie recommendations to people, which is the whole point. You do. And it's, just, it's, you know, it's a genre that I don't have a tremendous amount of experience in. My wife over the past couple of years, especially once she got the Switch, has gotten really into the indie game scene. And so kind of uh, by association, I see a lot of the games she's playing and occasionally I'll jump into some of the stuff that she recommends. But for you guys, certainly, I never would have known of half of the indie games out there if it wasn't for your show. So definitely go check out Polykill. Definitely go check out IndieQuest. Um, and I do like IndieQuest I mean, for a multitude of reasons, but a lot of times I like my podcast to be anywhere from an hour and a half to two and a half hours, like a nice beefy, chunky yes, boy to same. kind of simmer on while I'm playing a game. But I do appreciate how IndieQuest I can tu- you know, tune into like on my way to work or maybe I'm taking my dog on a walk and it's like anywhere from you know 45 to an hour and 15, kind of a nice bite-sized snack to complement and understand and know all of the good indie games that are out there. So... Um, keep up the great work with that show. I'm glad that you guys brought Captain Jockmon too. He's definitely a, a really nice addition to the to the panel. I mean, he's another one where he's just the dude's nothing but boots and talent. He's just he's just raw skill. He came on and immediately just hit the ground running and and made the show. I think much better than it was with just the two of us. Um, he's the secret sauce these days. Good stuff. Love that. And, uh, of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention your Twitch streams over there on twitch.tv slash Blinkoom. And, you know, Twitch isn't for everyone. You know, I think both from, like, a viewing perspective, but also, like, as a streamer, it's just not for everyone. But you, similarly to your podcast, have created such an inviting, cozy space, playing a variety of games all the time, treat to tune into. So I'd love to hear, you kind of briefly alluded to it at the top of the show, what interested you in streaming in the first place? And did you ever envision when you started it back in 2020 that you'd be doing it two years later? Um, I didn't envision that I'd be doing it, but I had hoped that I'd be doing it. So I've been, you know, I talked about watching gaming YouTube and then for a little bit falling off. I have never really fallen off of watching Twitch, although what I've watched has changed. So I found Twitch back in the early, early days, uh, it was 2011 or something like that. Um, and I was really big into Starcraft too. I was watching a lot of day nine dailies and, you know, watching all the tournaments that were on Twitch. And basically all my experience watching Twitch was, uh, watching, uh, Starcraft videos and I, and I loved it. And then I happened to be poking around. I forget exactly how I found it, but, um, in 2012, I caught, uh, awesome games done quick 2012 the speedrunning charity marathon okay. and i loved that i was like oh man this is great so then i started following a whole bunch of different twitch streamers that were speedrunning games you know and 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 watching all them and then that sort of naturally led into watching folks in the twitch retro community because the a lot of those speedrunners play retro games uh and you know I followed our boy Pete Dorr and that led me to some stuff that uh, some other folks that I wasn't aware of too. And so I was really, really enjoying it. And actually in 2017, I did a few streams. Not a lot of folks know this. I did a few streams oh. in 2017. Um, 
they were all speedruns of a game, like a little indie NES-style platformer called Always Awakening. I don't know if anybody has played that. If you haven't, it's a very good game. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a modern indie game, but it's very much modeled after old NES platformers. In fact, I think they actually sold an NES version on an actual Nintendo cartridge. Oh, but wow. I was doing some speedruns of that, and I wanted to record it, you know, in case I did well. I had a little rivalry with a friend of mine at the time. And I did those, and then the, the, the stream sat dormant. And then it was in 2020, uh, like most folks, you know. It was in June of 2020. It was actually on my birthday in 2020. Uh, the, some circumstances had gone on, and I was at home alone. You know, Sprite couldn't be around. Sprite's my partner, and she couldn't be here. And so I was just sitting around. I was like, man, you know, the world the world is stressful. I'm just kind of chilling here. I want to do something to you know, lift my spirits a little bit. And if I can lift anyone else's spirits, cool. So I decided I wanted to play a really cozy game that I love that I was very familiar with. So I popped in Dark Cloud. I played the PS4 version of Dark Cloud. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stream it. And I had a lot of fun. You know, obviously there weren't really many people there, but I had a lot of fun. And I was like, you know what? I think I could, I could enjoy doing this. So I set a schedule for myself. And the whole point for me was I, I just wanted to stick to that schedule Mm-hmm. I just wanted to keep doing it. Um, I I think a lot of people are like this, but I'm definitely no different. I I get you can get enthusiastic about a project, you know. Maybe you kick it off, you do one or two, whatever it is, videos, paintings, whatever, and then you kind of lose steam because once the initial luster wears off, it's hard to 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 keep the momentum if it's not something that you really like after a couple of tries. Oh yeah. Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to I'm gonna just set the schedule and I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to prove to myself that I can do it. And that's kind of where I still am. You know, two years and change later, I'm like, I stream three times a week in the evenings after work. And, and that's just that's just the schedule that I go with. And thankfully, you know, you know, who would have thought that being consistent provides some sort of benefit. But thankfully, as Polykill's grown and the stream has grown, the community that comes over to the stream has grown a little bit. And now we have a pretty... Pretty good amount of people, a lot of friendly faces that come out and hang out, and we're just, you know, spreading the love of all sorts of games. That's so great. I'm so glad you stuck with it, too. And, um, you know, I had a little stint there streaming as well in 2020, which was a good time. I still have thoughts about wanting to go back to it because, I don't, you know, it's funny. I was talking to another community member. His name's Ethan, and I actually work with him, and we have weekly one-on-ones at work. We were talking the other day about games and I didn't know he had such a, a rich history growing up playing a variety of games but he was talking about when he was on some trip with a buddy of his and they were in some long car ride and his buddy was playing a PSP in the front seat and he just spent hours looking over his shoulder watching him play this PSP game mm-hmm. and I was like you know it's so weird like who would do that nowadays right like you were in the <laughs> playground as a kid watching your friends play a Game Boy. I'm like, that, that's just so bizarre to think that we did that back then. And he's like, Rusty, I mean, we kind of do that just in a different form now with Twitch. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't, <laughs> I, I, I never thought of it like that, but that's so true, right? You know, whether, whether you were on the couch with your buddies growing up, watching them play through something on the N64, the PlayStation 1, it's kind of just taken on a different form now with, with Twitch. And it's just so neat that uh, one, so many amazing people are out there streaming on Twitch, but just the variety of games that at any given moment you can go on Twitch and search for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone on PlayStation yeah. <laughs> 1, and someone out there in the world is probably streaming that game right now. Yeah, I'm always, at this point, it's more surprising if 
some if no one else is streaming the game that you're streaming because like truly there is there's always someone playing basically everything and i like you know i like that he points out that like watching over the psp or watching the psp over the shoulder because me and my friends did that all the time in fact streaming was sort of like a natural decision in that regard for me because it was it was actually pretty frequent especially i'd say in high school the setup that I had with my friends, all my friends were very much into games. We were always, even back then, we were always uh, exploring the the kind of weirder, offbeat stuff, the janky stuff, you know, exploring our platformers and things like that. Um, but my, my bedroom in high school had two TVs and a computer in it. And so it was really common for me and two buddies or something to all just be sitting around all of us playing our own individual single player games. Like, <laughs> That's amazing. Someone would be playing final fantasy nine. Someone else would be maybe working on Swicoden three. And then someone would be on the computer, like playing earthbound on an emulator or something like that. And naturally, you know, we're just, you know, sometimes you stop, you watch your friend play for a little bit. You, you describe what's happening for them so they can see the hype moments and stuff. And so it's like Twitch to me feels a lot like that. And it brings me back to, just chilling in the chilling in the room with my buddies. That's so cool. I love that. Um, well, okay. So speaking of that, looking back on this kind of two year journey to this point, do you have a most memorable game played or a certain stream that really stands out as a highlight for you? Mm, when I think about the like the standouts for me, I'm, there's been a few weird instances. One, I always think of Dark Cloud because it's the first one that I played, and it's one of the longer games that I played that I quite enjoyed. Uh, I'd say the one that I spent the most time on that I enjoyed was we did Dragon Age Origins. That was a long set of streams, buddy. Uh, That was long. And I knew it would be not to everyone's taste, so I only played it once a week. And let me tell you, if you play all of Dragon Age Origins only once a week in (laughs) two to three hour chunks, you're going to be playing a lot of Dragon Age Origins in your life. It is really going to stretch out. But always my favorite streams to do, always, are... End of the year, game of the year, list building streams. Oh, uh, yes. Every year, I, I I put together a list of all the games that I play that I think are candidates, and we do long, you know, three, four hour long streams, just talking, just us going through, talking about every single game that came out that year, you know, giving it props, talking about what made it awesome, why I liked it, and then that list gets pared down, boom, 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 and then we organize it in a one to ten, and it takes forever and i love how long and dramatic it is and it you think it'd be weird because a lot of that stream is is often me just like kind of sitting staring at the camera being like hmm i don't know i mean <laughs> so Last true part part two hmm. <laughs> should that be number five or number six gosh i don't know i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to mull on this a little bit but it's so fun it's so fun those are such a treat to tune into. And you're so right. I mean, you could spend like 15 to 20 minutes just figuring out what's going to go at five versus six. Like that, that, that's a legitimate debate you have with yourself and the <laughs> chat's going and Sprite might come in and say, come on, come on, Steve, you, you're really going to put, you're, you're really going to do that game dirty like that. Come on. She'll try to keep me honest. Yeah. She'll be like, as the only other person in this chat that is around you every single day, I'm here to tell you, you need to, you need to figure this out. All right. You're, you're straying from the path, buddy. There's only one spot for Hades and you know it's number one. All right. I know. It's so it's so hard though, because once you give it number one, nothing else can get number one. Oh gosh, so stressful. So stressful. Um and you know, those kind of came to a head. I did my game of the decade stream too. That was probably the most stressful of all of them was imagine settling on just ten games for an entire decade of gaming, twenty ten to twenty nineteen. Oof, that was that was not easy. 
Not no, that's not easy at all. I mean, I did that with Ryan. Um, gosh, about a year ago at this point, it was probably mm-hmm. 2020 when he and I put together our top 10 games of the decade. And I feel like, and I've been wanting to do this in a similar fashion that you did your Twitch stream um, of recording a YouTube video and going back and reacting to and watching some of my older YouTube videos um, mm. because I put together back in like, I don't know, 20, 2013-ish timeframe, top 20 games of that Wii, Xbox 360, and PS3 generation. <laughs> yes. And I to this day, I know what's my number one game back then, but number two to 20, I couldn't tell you anything that's on and represented in that list. And so I'd love to go through a lot of those game of the year videos that I did back then. And one, just for the sake of what was I talking about back in 2020 is my favorite, back in 2012 is my favorite game. Um, But how have my, my thoughts and my tastes changed and evolved over the years looking back and how does nostalgia play a factor in all of that um, and recreate my top 10 games of the decade? Because I feel like the day I cemented that list for the purposes of the podcast, a day later, it probably changed. Mine, mine too. I, I immediately know I would, I would make changes to it, but it's good. I love, I would love to see that video. Please do that for me. If for no one else, just do it for me. You can stream it on discord and I'll watch, but <laughs> I, I love those because it's such a, a time capsule, right? Like people, it is what people, uh, I think sometimes get caught up on, on my streams is they're like, wow, you're, you're putting so much thought into this. And then like, you're going to play a game a year later and it's going to change your mind and it's not going to matter. And it's like, yeah, but this is not me saying that these are definitively the 10 best games that came out in that decade. It's, it's the 10 best games that came out that I had played as of this moment. So it'll be so fun to go back, you know, 10 years from now and be like, what was I thinking? Are you, I didn't put outer wilds at number one. I mean, journey is amazing, but outer wilds, not at number one. What are you thinking, man? Uh, and so, don't mess with your lists once they're made. Leave them out there, and then you can go back and and see how you were feeling later. They they serve perfectly as just like a crystallization of your tastes at that time. I completely agree, and that's why I know a number of folks that have YouTube videos and have had them up since like 2009, 2010. A lot of times they hide those, make them private, or delete them altogether. And I purposely have kept you know my original Dragon Ball Origins two unboxing from June of 2010 when I put that up there. <laughs> Because it is a time capsule for me, my wife, my my future kids to go back and mm-hmm. look on. But I think also hitting on something that you said there as well, don't worry too much about if it's going to change later on. Because for me, I know that top 20 games of that generation or whatever, Fable 2, for all I know, could be my number two game at that time. <laughs> because of the circumstances of when I played it in high school, I was mm-hmm. down in the dumps for whatever reason. You know, I, I just I wanted to get lost in the world of Albion. You had a cute little doggo friend to kind of go on you with this journey. But now I look back in that game. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, don't get me wrong. I love <laughs> Fable 2. But that game graphically, mechanically, the humor, it just has not aged very well no. compared to some of the I, open world games today. I agree with you fully. I mean, Fable 2 is interesting. I also played it back in the day. It, I think people... You know, maybe some of the younger listeners don't realize Fable 2 was kind of like a hype deal when it came out. The, oh, yeah. The first Fable was like all these promises and then people played it and it didn't quite live up to what they were hoping for. But Fable 2 was like really being sold as is, is like this is this is going to deliver on what we've always been talking about with Fable. 
So it was, you know, considering that Fable these days, you know, there is the new one coming out, but as a franchise, it's not really, no one really talks about it anymore. But, but two was, was definitely hyped up. But yeah, exactly. Like you were saying, it, what you were doing, what was happening in your life, it's all entirely relevant to that. That's why all this is so subjective. All we can mm-hmm. do is capture our feelings at the time. I, I have, you know, I've had backloggery for 14 years to track what games I own and what games I've finished. And I uh, go back, I even did this on a stream a little bit, go back and look at some of my older ratings and my older comments on games. And I get, you know, give some of my favorite games of all time, like a three out of five star. Cause at the time <laughs> they just had, hadn't grown on me yet. And I was like, yeah. what is, what was I thinking? What did I have zero taste? Well, come on. So yeah, you, you just never know. You don't. And yeah, similarly with my backlog page, it's like, Rusty, is Enter the Matrix really one of the best PS2 games ever made? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Um, oh, wow. All good stuff. Well, okay. Tease the good people, Blank. Anything good coming down the pipeline that you're excited to stream to all the good people here after spooky season? Yeah. So October's all spooky streams. We're wrapping those up here uh, in the next couple of days. So November is going to be a couple of different things. One is, and I'm I'm excited for this, um, is I have purposely not looked all the way back on my PSN profiles or on Xbox, like true achievements, these websites that track your trophies and achievements. Um, I haven't looked all the way back to the beginning on either of them. And so I'm going to do a stream where we're going to load up both of those websites and I'm going to take you on a, a timeline of what I have been playing since the the conception of those consoles right so oh one of the yes one of the beauties of these achievement systems is they're all time stamped so i can go back i can scroll to the beginning of when i got the launch day xbox 360 and we can look at my achievements over time to see you know what what weird xbox live arcade games was i playing what triple a game did i get all the achievements in that i have forgotten about at this point so we're going to do a stream of both both my playstation and my xbox history basically like a look back oh that is gonna be amazing you better have you archived speaking of so have you archived and saved down like your top 10 games the decade stream and your end of the year list list streams as well i believe i've definitely archived the decade one and i think that i have the other two archived as well i'd be very upset to learn that i didn't (laughs) okay because i have like a i don't even know if this is legal but like a 4k video downloader and I've downloaded locally to my like hard drive a lot of Pete streams over the years, like his um, every PS2 video, his every PSP video, um, his like eight hour dark cloud stream um, speed run. Mm-hmm. I've, I've archived a lot of those, but um, I'm going to definitely have to save down these two uh, these two streams coming soon because that's just uh, music to my ears and just magic to my eyes. Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I I love anything where I can look back like that. Um and then the rest of November, you know, as I was saying, I get hyped for game of the year time. I love I love game of the year season, and so some of the streams in November are going to probably be me needing to poke at some of the things that came out this year that I just haven't gotten around to yet, you know, little experimentation in Stranger of Paradise, mm-hmm. um maybe some Ghostwire Tokyo and a bunch of indie stuff that i've missed too so it, it, it'll be a good you know we'll mix in some retro for the people because we always got to keep it keep it fresh um but it'll be a nice variety of stuff okay good stuff well tune in to twitch.tv slash blankoom 
add Polykill and IndieQuest to your local podcast feeds, you will not regret it. Trust me. Um, But Blink, you talked about all the games that you are planning to play here in the near term, but I want to know some of the games that you've been playing recently. So I've been watching some of your Twitch streams. You've been playing some Spooky. But mm-hmm. what have been some of the more recent highlights that you've been uh, playing there on Twitch and maybe some of the games you've been playing behind the scenes? Well, we definitely have to talk about the one I'm playing right now, and that is Rule of Rose. So this game is pretty infamous for being collectible, I think, but not a lot of people are are like really looking at what the gameplay is itself. And the Rule of Rose is... It's fascinating to me. So it's a survival horror game, first and foremost. And you play as this character who I don't even, I can't tell how old she is. Is she supposed to be 13? Is she supposed to be 19? I'm not really sure. (laughs) But she ends up on this airship, of all things, like an old 1930s Zeppelin that has a Lord of the Flies uh, situation going on where all these kids have formed this cultish club called the Aristocrat Club. And they demand that you give them offerings every month. And so the gameplay is you like running around in this Zeppelin and trying to find like butterflies or fish or something to to give to these people in order to to satisfy them and let you into the club. But it's the whole thing is just I don't I don't know how I could describe it. It's unsettling. It's weird. It's just very strange. A lot of kids snickering, a lot of like sniveling and like (laughs) slurping and licking each other and they tape rats to sticks and poke each other and it's just it it, it's like heebie-jeebies the game i don't don't know i know you have seen a couple of the streams here and there on this one um what what, what was your vibe check on ruler rose yeah i mean i get silent hill like early resident evil feelings um when i'm watching you play i I guess my biggest question for you is are are you because it's kind of almost difficult to know watching you play are you having fun that's <laughs> it's <laughs> a complicated question um ruler rose i think is is fascinating because it occupies a very specific space it is a game where the actual gameplay is not fun the actual gameplay is bad all right it's bad gameplay the combat is like laughable it's like it's truly like they looked at Silent Hill and they said, "Okay, that is fine, but we can make that combat two times worse. I guarantee we can make <laughs> that combat two times worse." Oh no. It's, it's just like you flail with like a butter knife and literally the character blocks her eyes and looks away as she's slashing cuz she's like nervous and so there's no direction, no coordination, anything. Uh it, it's just very very janky. And it clearly not the like highlight of the game. But what's what's cool about it is that it's so weird that I kind of don't care. I don't know I don't know if you ever feel this way, but there's a certain genre of game that I feel like or like a certain vibe of a game or style of a game that starts to not really be about the minute to minute gameplay. It starts to be more about like the complete experience and just like the the tone mm. and the environment and just the storyline and stuff where yeah, I'm kind of slogging through these somewhat repetitive rooms with a lot of loading screens and this combat that there's not a, a soul alive that likes this combat. But I also kind of don't care because the game is so fascinating and so original and like so kind of just like 
disturbing in a way that I'm like, I just want to, I just want to see what's next. I, I'm just having fun exploring, learning about this game on its terms more than I am actually playing it. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure there's a game like that for me. I can't think of anything off the top of my head that at a certain point I was just like, I'm locked into this experience. I'm not stopping until I see the credits roll, um, regardless of how fun the actual minute-to-minute gameplay is. And maybe even some of the the underappreciated 3D platformers that we're going to get into here later, um, one in particular might kind of fit that bill for me. But um, So I, I kind of tuned into your VOD this morning to kind of see, okay, did he roll credits? Where was he at? How much more of this somewhat disturbing unsettling experience do you have left to go and uh, sounds like you maybe have one more stream i i think so you know if we can read the tea leaves right if we look at how long to beat or if we look at like a list of all the chapters in the game i would estimate that i have one more which would put it at like a 10 to a 12 hour game okay and what is the deal with this one i mean i'm pulling it up on ebay i'm seeing 450 dollar asking price 620 why in the world is this game so expensive it's a kind of a combination of factors, I think. One, the game came out in 2006. So, you know, think about back in 2006, the PS2 was definitely uh, still around, but the new consoles, you know, yeah. PS3 and 360 were out now. Folks were starting to look to the new shiny thing. You know, it's an Atlas game, and those Atlas games, they always get that Atlas tax. People want to collect all the Atlas stuff. And it's a survival horror game. And for some reason, survival horror is just one of those genres that, I guess people just collect survival horror as is. And so they don't really care like what studio made the game, what type of game it is. They just want new horror experiences. So, you know, all that combined with what I assume is probably a pretty low print run. It just kind of had the three or four factors working against it to make it expensive. And then beyond that, I've I've said this before, but uh, I think that there's this phenomenon when a game is the most expensive or the most collectible on a console mm-hmm. it kind of naturally continues to increase in price because of that status you know there's people that are trying to wild people out there trying to own every ps2 game and at some point they're going to have to own ruler rose so they just are, at, at some point they're just willing to buy it to finish their set and you know if a copy comes up and it's 20 bucks 30 bucks more than the typical asking price they probably don't care at that point they're just going to buy it yeah and that gets tracked in the ebay solds and then that it goes up from there and it just that cycle kind of repeats itself over and over again and so the 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 high high end tends to only get higher uh, at least right now that you know that's not sustainable forever but that seems to be the general pattern with stuff so i think that ruler rose probably a little bit fell victim to that too okay Interesting. Yeah, this is definitely not one unless it gets some kind of like PS4 remaster thing to PSN I would ever get around to playing. So I'm just going to kind of live vicariously through you on this one. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have come into the stream and asked, you know, was this worth the money? Was this worth the money? And well, one, I I don't, I don't know anybody else's financial situation. I can't tell you if it's worth it to you. But mm-hmm. uh, it's like, it's it's complicated because one, I didn't pay nearly, nearly what it's going for right now. So my entry price was very different. Two, you know, I have certain tastes and certain sensibilities. I like looking at the weird stuff, the off the beaten path stuff, the jank stuff. And also, you know, I have the advantage I'm streaming it and sharing it with other people. So if you take all those things into consideration, like 
you know, for me, what I paid for it, sure, that was worth it. But yeah, that's not the same as me recommending someone else go out and spend a mortgage payment to own this <laughs> game that I say has objectively bad combat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Good stuff. I mean, I think this is a, a fitting one for just based on the types of games that you tend to stream on Twitch. I think this is definitely a fitting one to kind of close out the spooky season on. Yeah, we did something similar. I think last year I did Kuon, and this year we did Rule of Rose. So, you know, those in the know on PS2 Horror could probably reasonably predict what next year's closer will be, but, you know, we'll leave it up in the air. Yeah, keep the people guessing. Yeah, heck yeah. Are you, well, what's something that you've been playing? You know, share with me what you're enjoying. I'll squeeze one in here. So on the horror front, um, I've actually had a nice little string of spooky games this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I try to play as many and get through as many as I can, and... Kind of a tradition at this point is to invite my brother-in-law, Ryan, my forever co-host, over to the house, sitting on the same couch, side by side. Controller's always in my hand because he's a little bit too afraid to control anything (laughs) in the spooky realm himself, uh, which is fine. But uh, with that being said, this year I really tried to create the spookiest environment for the both of us and find, I would consider, one of the scariest games I've ever played. Um, and that is Infliction Extended Cut. Have you heard of this game? Have you played this game before, Blink? I mean, I only know about it from hearing you talk about it. I have not seen it before. I have no idea how it plays. So I'm very curious to learn, especially when you start tacking on something like Scariest Game or one of the scariest games. You have my attention. Yeah, so I talked a bit about it last week. I'll kind of reiterate without going into a tremendous amount of detail because I'm sure you can kind of attest when it comes to spooky season games, stuff like The Quarry or Until Dawn, you want to stay away from streams because you don't want anything anyone else does to influence your decisions in those types of games. And even if it is a linear experience, you don't want things to kind of be spoiled for you because it might affect how scary the game is in your experience playing it, right? Yeah, um, exactly. So I'll kind of just teeter around the details here. It's a first horror or first person horror experience and you're kind of stuck in these different memory loops, playing as this man, wandering around your house and picking up picture frames, picking up notebooks, picking up random household items that have memories tied to them. So you might pick up, I don't know, um, a business card from someone and your your wife will start narrating the story of some time ago that this electrician came to your house. And so that's really what this game is kind of, that's the main gameplay loop is wandering around the house, picking up these things, your wife narrates these memories. And so you begin to kind of piece together this tragic past for your family. And while you're doing all of this, again, it's as you probably expect in a first person horror game, pitch black, all the lights in the house are off. You hold a flashlight that has no draw distance to it at all like the the the, the light <laughs> i don't know this guy needs to invest in a new flashlight because literally you can't see beyond your nose with this thing and as you're navigating the house an evil spirit is kind of chasing you and when this evil spirit becomes close to you or gets close to you kind of in an amnesia sense your vision starts to go blurry you don't start to die or anything like that but the camera starts to shake And it's kind of your sign to, hey, you need to either get under a table, get under a bed, hide in a closet or do something fast because 
this evil spirit is going to chase after you real fast and there's no escaping it. Like you can't you can't get away once this person starts chasing you because you're dead immediately. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I mean that's pretty much all I'll say. It's very unsettling. Ryan and I audibly screamed at the top of our lungs multiple <laughs> times. And I don't know how you feel about, you know, first person horror experiences blink but i just feel like there's so much scarier than playing something like a silent hill or resident evil 2 and 3 because your field of vision is so much greater in those types Mm -hmm. of games you can kind of see around the corner you can kind of see a little bit behind you but when you're playing in the first person and you're only locked into your you know tunnel vision you know looking forward and especially when all the lights are out and your flashlight doesn't work it's it it creates for a, a pretty creepy unsettling experience yeah i agree all all of the when i think of the scariest games i've ever played all of them are first person horror games you know uh amnesia outlast resident evil 7 all of them uh that something about being able to like because in those games you can turn around and there'll be something behind you that you weren't expecting right you can jump Mm -hmm. scare yourself or they can jump scare you intentionally so i'm glad to hear that it was very scary because I think that that setup for a game is pretty common, right? I think that if you were an aspiring developer and you wanted to make a horror game, setting something like in a house where you're being chased is is kind of uh, doable, I guess, right? Like, yeah, it's a reasonable amount of assets to make, and it wouldn't take you your entire life, as opposed to something like a Silent Hill where you have huge sprung outdoor sections and a bunch of different environments and things like that. Um, so I'm glad to hear that it was uh, that it was as scary as it was, right? Because I think that there's a lot of potential for that to be uh, not quite so scary. But was it just that the the ghost was good at you know jumping up when you weren't expecting it, or was it more of just the tension of crawling around the house that made it so scary? Yeah, I think that's what it was because if it's not procedurally generated, it feels like it. You know, I think in the Resident uh. Evil games. Mr. X, Nemesis, the the dad in Resident Evil 7, it feels like they only show up at particular times or maybe they're just wandering and always chasing you. Whereas this evil spirit that chases you, you just never know where in the house it's going to show up. And that level of uncertainty, I just think adds just a tremendous amount of stress and pressure to the player um, that I really haven't seen in other games that I've personally played and to your point, yeah, it's it's definitely not really overly unique, doesn't really reinvent the wheel in terms of what it's trying to do. Um, but I think just sticking to those kind of like traditional normal horror tropes, I think is kind of what it makes it so so scary. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad I'm glad that it did deliver that for you. Is this one that you think you would potentially revisit in future Octobers? Or are you content to kind of let it live as your 2020 scary game of choice and, and move on? Well, I don't want to jump to the trophy discussion too fast, but um, (laughs) this is a pretty easy platinum. But as we'll get to here later, I don't even want it to be part of my 100 just because Mm. there are other games that I feel like are more worthy of those spots leading up to 100. Um, So, yeah, it's not a game that revisit like, oh, gosh, I just want to re-experience the sheer dread and the story of Resident Evil 7 again and going through that house, those earlier moments uh, with your wife Mia chasing you and all the nonsensical crazy stuff that happens in that game. It's more just like, hey, I kind of want to go up and you know do some trophy cleanup. Um, I but it. I 
I will say, I think this is one to add to your uh, Twitch streaming radar for future years because you can beat it in one stream. I think Ryan and I rolled credits in under three hours. Um, and I searched every nook and cranny of this house too. Like I actually, there's a trophy <laughs> that pops for collecting all of the memories, which is oh, really there you go. associated with picking up certain items and it unlocks that narration of your wife. Um, and I did that without a guide. So you can definitely unlock a lot of the trophies on the way, but, um, it's a good spooky time. I'm telling you this one pulls no punches. It's real scary. And it's a little bite-sized snack that you can beat in under three hours. I love it. I love it. This is my call to all developers out there. We need good three hour games. All right. Mm. Forget that that's the length of my Twitch streams, but man, when I see a game is three hours long, I'm like, oh, that's the perfect length. I'm so happy. Especially for a horror experience. Like I've been wanting to play Alien Isolation for years. And then when I see that how long to beat is 18 hours on that game, I'm like, come on now. Come on now. Yeah, yeah. I've watched some streams of it and it seems so good, but it's like, can we really sustain this pace for, for yeah, 20 hours? Like that's longer than like a prestige action game. That's, that's half of a JRPG of just tensely running away from this alien. My nerves can't take that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, Infliction, Extended Cut. I played it on PlayStation 5. I think you can get it on most other current generation platforms, but uh, definitely recommended for the spooky season. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, now I'm going to have to look up the name of this game because I want to make sure I don't mis- misorganize it here. Yes, there it is. So one that I want to mention, you know, I on the stream, I always am trying to bring weird, interesting stuff. Kind of, One of the like mission statements of my stream is... Every time I go live, I want, I don't want people to have any idea what's going to come up. I, you know, it could be a modern PS5 action game. It could be an indie game. It could be a retro game. It could be, you know, really well loved. It could be jank and obscure, anything. Okay. And so I was, I was plumbing the depths of what can I stream in October that folks have not seen before? You know, people have seen Until Dawn, they've seen Resident Evil. But no one has seen Slice and Hook Haunted Miniature Golf, the scariest mini golf game. Now, I can't recall. Were you at this stream or no? I don't think I was. I saw that you were streaming this and I just felt like, I don't know if I had something going on that night or I just couldn't tune in, but please enlighten me. What is going on here? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm a big mini golf fan and I am a big uh, virtual mini golf fan, but Slice and Hook is a 90s era, um, like, PC mini golf game. So it's it's such, like, Windows 95, Windows 98 era that I could not get it to run on my modern PC. I had to literally download a PC emulator slash basically a virtual machine and <laughs> run this. in. I had to install Windows 95 myself to run this game. And it's like FMV, like pre-rendered backgrounds, nine different holes, and they're all scary themed mini golf courses. So things like uh haunted Tiki Island or like a uh, haunted uh, trailer park, or there's one that's like called black hole and it's like entirely in the dark. And there's all sorts of like skulls and vultures and like weird, you know, animatronic creatures and things all over these different levels. Okay. Um, 
Every now and again, you'll hit the ball into a spot and it'll trigger like a classic 90s era FMV cutscene of what is definitely, definitely one of the developers doing like a really terrible accent and pretending to be a mad scientist or. Oh, heck yes. Um, like one time you like hit it into this. I guess it's like uh, supposed to be uh, uh, like a whirlpool or something. And he's just in there in his uh, bathing suit. And you have to, like, use the golf ball to knock a lamp into the water to electrocute him. All sorts of weird stuff. But these these holes were wild and wildly difficult, dude. Like, Oh, wow. Okay. You, you think mini golf. You think par three, par four holes. There were holes in this that I took 150 strokes to what? get through. 150 strokes. It was ridiculous. Now, some of them I was able to do in a reasonable 40 to 50 strokes. But uh, some of those levels, like there was one where we had to uh, putt up a mountain. And you had to putt up and like land in these different corners of the mountain, like these little offshoots of rock. Oh, my Which basically meant gosh. that you had to make six very skill-based shots in a row in order to get it up onto the green. And it took me... Like a half an hour of just grinding at that one section, but oh, oh, it's, oh. it's it's wild. That there's there's no game out there like Slice and Hook Haunted Miniature Golf. This is this truly stands alone as the premier Halloween themed mini golf game, and I would highly encourage anyone to to check it out or at least just go watch some video of it or something because it was it was fascinating. I'm gonna have to go back and watch your vod for this. This sounds insane. 150 strokes for one one hole yeah yeah i think my final score so it's just the nine holes i think my final score across all of them was like uh right around a thousand strokes maybe maybe like 750 or something like that now i did go back and clean up some of those holes and i you know i got them down a little bit so we 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 got it into like the 600 range by the end in in the cleanup mode but yeah it's it's rough you know it's all these sharp FMV angles and, you know, maybe the physics aren't always super obvious. And so, uh, it's not always easy to make your shot. Plus all these holes are like expansive. Most, if not all of them have like two or three branching paths. They'll have situations where you need to like putt the ball over a rickety bridge. And if you knock it off, it falls down into a completely different section of course. And now you're like in the catacombs and you have to putt your way out of the catacombs to get back up to the main area. It's, oh it was my. really cool. Now I feel like, I know this game didn't come out for current generation consoles or anything like that, but if it was somehow ported and it got its own trophy list, I just <laughs> feel like this would just have like 13 trophies or something like that because it's Halloween. Um, I guess it's not really related to golf, but 13 just sounds like a magical number for a trophy list. You have 11 of the trophies. You need one more to get the platinum. What What is the final trophy that you think you need to grind out and slice a hook? <laughs> All right, let's see. So, you know, if, if we're assuming that we've got the nine trophies, it's nine gold trophies, you know, one for finishing <laughs> each of the oh, holes. Yeah. Yep. Probably there's one gold trophy for like, you know, complete all holes in under, I'm going to say 666 strokes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And, and then the final trophy, I think is probably, this seems like a game that would be kind of, kind of cheeky. I'm going to say that it's for naming yourself after the one guy that developed (laughs) this whole game. 
It's enter Jim into the the scorecard, and you get a gold trophy for that. Oh, you love that. That's amazing. So you actually got to enter Blink into your into your scorecard. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. What a platinum uh, to uh, you know add to your uh, your belt for the road to one hundred. Yeah. See, it's the only platinum I have that uh, you know the game boots up with a skeleton smoking a cigarette yelling at me. Oh, <laughs> uh, you can't make that up. That's that's just that's just great. You can't. <laughs> oh my goodness. What else you've been playing recently? You wanna you wanna squeak one more in here? Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll let you have a non horror one that I've been kind of addicted to lately. And I, I don't know if this is really the type of game that you would ever be interested in. I don't know too much about your willingness to play card games, but I've been playing a lot of Marvel Snap. Is this something you've seen, heard of, are aware of? I've heard some folks in my Twitter circle tweeting about it, but I don't know how it plays. I don't know what it looks like. So, yeah, please, let me. what's going on with this Marvel Snap game? Fascinating game. So it, it is... First off, it's developed by a studio called, is it Second Dinner, I think is their name? But it's it's the former lead designer of Hearthstone, the Blizzard World of Warcraft card game. Oh, okay, yeah. And some of the other staff from that team as well. So it's basically an offshoot of the Hearthstone team, went off, formed their own studio, uh, started making their own card game. Obviously, at some point got the Marvel license because, you know, they had a pretty good pedigree. So they're able to go to Marvel or Marvel came to them and they were able to say, Hey, we could actually do right by your properties. And they developed this game that seems to like take a lot of lessons from Hearthstone and solve a lot of the problems that people had with that game. So Marvel Stab is a deck building, like competitive card game. You build a deck and then you play against another opponent and uh, against their deck of cards uh, decks are very small in the game. It's 12 cards for each person. And then the main setup of like the game board itself is when you start the game, there are three different locations that you can play cards at. You and your opponent can play cards at. You play them on your side, they play them on their side. At the start of the first turn, um, the first location will reveal itself and it'll have some special uh, attribute or some special quality to it. So it'll be like, you know, Cards that are played here uh, have plus one power. And so you're like, okay, okay well, I'll, put, I'll put some cards over there. And then on turn two, the next one will reveal. Turn three, the next one will reveal. You win the game by, at the end of six turns, it's always six turns only, um, whoever controls two out of the three locations. So basically, whoever has more power on their side of the board after six turns in two of the three locations is the winner. And so... It, you know, it's only six turns. Games are super fast. They go by in like five minutes. Oh, wow. It's all about like very, it's it's very strategic and like all about like uh, planning moves ahead, but also trying to predict what your partner or what your opponent's going to do. Because, you know, if you see they're putting a bunch of cards into one location, you're like, well, okay, I'll, I'll give that one to them. I'm not going to fight with all my resources to take that location i'll just spread all my cards out between these other two locations and i'll win because in the end i only need to control two of the three uh, but then some of these location like variety or the the attributes to these different locations get really weird like there's ones that will make it so that uh you draw cards from your opponent's deck for the entire game there's one that like literally just plays your hand for you however they decide it would be best played and so 
it has all the like fun random elements of Hearthstone, but it, the randomness is all inherent to the game board itself and okay. less about like uh, coin flips to uh, win or lose particular minion battles. Uh, very, very cool game. And this, it's all Marvel themed. So all the cards are, you know, Marvel superheroes. So I got, I got my deck where I've got my Miles Morales card and oh, my Iron Man yes. card and I'm rocking my Ant Man card, you know. And then my Nightcrawler card, you know, I play my Nightcrawler card and then I move it to, from one location to another. That, that lowers the cost for me to play my Miles Morales card. And now I'm dropping huge power for low cost. It's so good. But yeah, just a really addicting, game and i was a huge hearthstone person i was very very big into hearthstone for years i still watch hearthstone streams as like comfort food if no one else is streaming that i want to watch and uh it, it was just like a natural fit for me and i've i've been i've been all in okay interesting yeah this is probably not my cup of tea there is one card game that i've always been interested in kind of in a similar vein of like i've never really been interested in playing world of warcraft but Lord of the Rings Online was always an MMO. At least wanted to kind of dip my feet in and play a little bit of. There's yeah. a Lord of the Rings card game that I really haven't watched much gameplay of. I don't even really know how it plays, but the the setup of it does look a little bit similar to something like Hearthstone or Gwent, the the Witcher card game. Yep. And you can play it on consoles, so it's something that I would eventually want to get around to. But I imagine this Marvel Snap game. I mean, it just to me screams like just one more game. Like I just got to play one more. Oh. <laughs> and then you end up playing like 15 more. Now, is is this a game keeping you up late at night? Are you playing during your lunch break or just all of the above? I'm squeezing it into every little five minute gap that I can, basically. But okay. I will string match after match. Like last night, I just sat there on the couch after my stream, basically. You know, I went out in the living room and decompressed and I played this game for like two hours straight it's at <laughs> there's another mechanic that i didn't even mention that is that is worth shouting out and it's the snap mechanic it's the one that the game is named after so you know card games like this they have like ladder points or or you go up and down in rank right you win a game you win some points matchmaking uh but this game lets you control that and so every game you win you'll either win or lose one point or they're cubes in the game but they're basically points but at any point in the match, you can snap, which doubles the amount of points that you and your opponent are now playing for, and they can do the same. Oh, and so, okay. So you can say, like, I'm feeling confident. I have a really good hand and a really good board. I'm going to snap and make this game worth twice as many points. And then the opponent has the choice to either retreat that turn and only lose the original amount of points, or if they stick around for that turn, now the stakes are higher. So it adds like a poker element to it of yeah. uh, being able to basically bluff your opponents when you think they might suspect you have a strong hand. I can snap and be like, I got you, bro. And they don't want to stick around and lose more points if they think they're going to lose. So maybe they retreat or maybe they call your bluff and they double down. And now you're playing for, you know, eight times the stakes that you were originally playing for. And so that on top of the actual gameplay, which is already really solid, it's just so addicting because there's like a mind game going on at the same time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Now, are you? I'm assuming you're playing this on the iPad. Uh, on my phone, yeah. It's on mobile and it's on PC, and there is like cross progression between the two, but it's very much you know it's on my phone playing it in between whatever event. Okay. Yeah, in between work meetings, you know, when you're sitting on the on the toilet, whatever it might be. Oh, of course. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. Probably not something I'm going to play, but I I'm glad 
you're enjoying it. And a number of other folks too. I've heard a lot of people tweeting about it. But uh, definitely a nice little kick in the pants for me to eventually download that Lord of the Rings card game because I've Do never, it. ever really gotten into a card game like that before. And uh, it's something I probably need to check out. Go for it. Uh, is there anything else that you're playing since you, I know you're not playing Marvel Snap? Yeah, I will squeeze one more in here. Try not to take too much time so we can get into some trophy discussion. But I rolled credits in this earlier this week. It's been sitting in my backlog for way too long. And that is a Plague Tale Innocence. Have you played this nice. one? Nice. Yes, I love Plague Tale Innocence. I was surprised when I played this just how much I liked it. I thought I would enjoy it, but I really ended up liking it in the end. And hopefully you did too. So I'm not, I'm not heaping a bunch of praise on it. And then you're going to say it disappointed you. Awful. My most disappointed game this year. Just <laughs> horrible. The audacity of this team to make a game like this. Um, no, I loved it. I thought it was so good. And for anyone that isn't familiar with this, I'll kind of set the scene a little bit with the plot and then just talk through some of the gameplay that I thought was just so well done. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so it takes place in the 1300s in France during, I think, the Hundred Years War between England and France. You're playing as this young girl named Amicia and you have this younger brother of yours named Hugo that is always by your side. It's it's almost like a eco-Yorda type fashion mm-hmm. with the gameplay that you're kind of going through. Over the shoulder, third person type of game. And you quickly discover that your brother has this illness. And without, again, going into any kind of story spoilers, you're eventually kind of forced to flee your village and you're searching for a doctor to help your brother. And visually, just right off the bat, game stunning environments yeah. beautifully detailed really kind of creates that almost um gothic bloodborne type of mood with its atmosphere and, and the visual detail of the cities and the villages and the forests and the variety of environments that you're kind of going through it's very linear you know, i think there's 16 chapters and each one could take anywhere from 20 minutes to maybe an hour to get through you navigate through a variety of these environments in a very stealth-like fashion, trying to oftentimes avoid guards. And you, you kind of craft ammunition so you can use this slingshot playing as Amicia to take out the guards or solve environmental puzzles. But I think the game is probably most notably known and kind of the biggest talking point and mechanic of it is the rats that are kind of plaguing yeah. the country. And you have to use fire and light to your advantage. Um, otherwise, if you're walking around the areas where these hundreds, thousands of rats, I mean, how they were able to render all of this in real time in the game doesn't chug is, is certainly um, a feat in, of, in and of itself. Um, but you have to use fire to your advantage so that you're not overrun by swarms of, of rats, really. Um I guess quick question though for you, Blink, when did you play this game? Because I think it came out in what, 2019 maybe? I didn't play it right when it came out, but it wasn't too long after. So I'd say like 20, probably early 2020 or so. I actually played this outside of in October, um, but it it was not too long after it came out. But even back then, even now, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous game. Yeah, it really is. And you know, while I was playing it, I mean, mechanically, you know, crafting the ammunition, the weapon wheel, just how the game feels and plays and even its approach to storytelling. Like if I wasn't as familiar with Naughty Dog's development history, if this was like the natural progression and game that they ended up developing and releasing after The Last of Us, like I, I totally would have believed it because it just feels like 
the natural next game in their cycle of development. Like it feels like big naughty dog energy. There's definitely some areas where it could use some naughty dog polish, but this to me just <laughs> feels like a naughty dog game to me. Um, or at least yeah. an off. Like if some of that development team left to make this game, I totally would have believed it. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't think of it like specifically last of us, but when I was playing it, my thought was uh, along very similar lines where I was like, this feels like a Sony first party game, like a, yeah. like a PlayStation first party game. Again, you know, there's some spots, you know, there's the occasional like texture here and there that maybe isn't quite as high res or something as you'd expect to see in, in such a big budget game, but the feel of it, the over the shoulder perspective, just like kind of the tone of the mm-hmm. story and everything all feels like one of these like prestige first party Sony games. So um, I'm right there with you. Yeah. My, really my only complaint about it is, you know, you do use this slingshot that you can kind of take out enemies with. You use it for, for puzzle solving and lighting torches with fire or dowsing flames to, you know, in, ensure that the rats come and swarm to take out enemies or whatever. My biggest frustration is, Towards the late game, there's a couple of sections where like four, five, six enemies start chasing you mm-hmm. and you have this like wind up of your sling before you can actually sling the rock. And it just became increasingly frustrating and challenging because if, if you miss like one or two times when these enemies are kind of approaching you, you're immediately dead because you don't have a health yeah. bar. It's a one hit kill every time when these enemies come close to you. And I just feel like the game, they could have touched that up a bit to make it less frustrating because I don't think it was like a healthy challenge. Like you're playing a platformer and you just have to to time this button press perfectly to get over this this gap. It just felt like this just is poor game design. <laughs> like this just is not, <laughs> it's not working well. Um, but up into that point, I felt like the game flowed so well and overall just a great, great story. Highly recommended in Maybe this is apples to oranges comparison, but this game to me, I, I don't remember a lot of people talking about it back in 2019, 2020, and it kind of just feels like it's going to eventually be a bit of a cult classic, like a Mirror's yeah. Edge or like an enslaved Odyssey to the West type of game for like the 360 PS3 era. Um, of course, it just got and released a sequel in a Plague Tale Requiem, um, but I, I almost feel like this game... I wouldn't have been surprised if it never got a sequel and it just remained its own standalone experience. It, I mean, to go back to what we were talking about probably about an hour ago at this point, it feels like the type of game that 10 years ago I would have learned about from a YouTube video that someone yes. like plumbed, you know, on some GameStop, buy two, get one on the PS2. They would have happened to pull this game out that no one else is really like looking at or, or considering. And they'd be saying, no, you guys, this game is so much better than it might seem. It it really has that like, you know, PS2 360 era hidden gem energy. I'm with you. Yeah. For sure. So yeah, really enjoyed that. Probably the last kind of spooky horror adjacent type of game that I'm going to play here in the October spooky season. Um but that's about it for me in terms of games played recently. Still plugging away at Dragon Quest Builders 2, but uh, I feel like that's something I'm going to keep playing for the remainder of this year and I probably still won't roll credits on it, but um, we've mentioned it a number of times, Blank. We've, we've kind of hinted, oh, I don't want to talk too much about trophies now because we're going to talk about them later. <laughs> we've had this kind of infamous rivalry that I think was probably first publicly brought up on the Polykill podcast because there's a couple of times where 
you know, you and Trav will be talking about the games you've been beating and you'll kind of throw in, well, well, I had to go back and clean up this game because it has its trophies and I need to need to pop <laughs> need to pop that platinum trophy. And then eventually Trav, I mean, God bless the man, because he's like, Steve, w- what's going on here? Like, you're always talking about these trophies. I mean, do you have a rivalry going on with someone? Are you competing? What is going on here? Why are you so trophy obsessed? And I don't even remember where it started. Do you remember when we first started kind of egging each other on behind the scenes, sending each other DMs of like, hey, I popped another platinum. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do about it? I don't remember the exact. I don't remember if it was like a, uh, spawned out of a conversation that you were having on Otaku Bros or what. But I do remember um, at some point going on a, to PlayStation and comparing our two profiles. And we were pretty close to each other in terms of like total number of platinums. And I want to say it was me that I sent some sort of, you know, threatening blustering message to you like you better watch your back buddy someone's (laughs) someone's coming for you all right enjoy enjoy second place because you're about to taste it it is going to be better uh and so i launched ahead and then you launched ahead then we we both i think have had periods of kind of taking the lead and or overtaking at various times um but it's always been in good spirits we very regularly on either discord or uh playstation or whatever anytime a platinum comes up we'll shoot the the screenshot over to the other person you know maybe just tuck a a, a nice eyes emoji there alongside it like yeah i just want you to see this i want you to feel you're probably out right now right you're sitting at some dinner with your coworkers, (laughs) some obligation on a friday night you're nowhere near your playstation and i'm over here i'm just getting trophies buddy you are you are stranded and i am taking the lead it's so true. And for the number of times, like I, I might actually be out at a dinner with my coworkers and Russ, you're starting to sweat. What, you, you feeling okay over there, man? You feel it's like, yep, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. But I do have to leave very soon because yeah, yeah we're, can we get the, the, the check here? I think we're, I think we're good. We're all good now. Right guys. All right. See, we need to, we need to get out of here. Um, but I will say that first message that you did send me, I'm like, the audacity of this man <laughs> like took it personally like as a personal challenge like someone called my child ugly like oh no you do not how dare you even think that you're going to surpass me in trophy count i am going to the factory i'm going to continue to work on my you know popping my trophies my platinums and uh, but yeah you're right it's all been in good fun and good spirits and um i mean we got to talk about it though because it's a kind of eventually evolved into because originally, you know, we were at like 30, 40, 50 platinums. We've really done some good trophy hunting work the past yeah. two years. And we're kind of knocking on 100's door at this point. And you're certainly a few platinums above me. I think you're at like what, 93, 94 right now? 93 as, as of we're recording. As of 1029, 1231 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Standard Time, Blink has 93 platinum trophies but what i want to do we don't have to kind of talk too much about it but i want to understand at this point do you have a specific plan and roadmap to unlock that 100th does the 100th have to be super special for you what is your approach at this point to kind of pop in and get in that 100th plat i definitely have been considering it quite a bit uh i do want my 100th platinum to be something kind of special um we can we can talk about what we think those will eventually be in a little bit here but i want it to be something meaningful for a couple of reasons one you know it's just it's a nice round number 
Uh, it's, it's nice and clean and it feels like, uh, a, a time to celebrate and, and give a little bit of extra love to a game that, uh, is meaningful to you in some way. Also, uh, on the, the website that I usually tend to track my trophies on and, you know, you know, sometimes I, you know, take a peek at Rusty's profile from time mm-hmm. to time mm-hmm. is PSN profiles. And they on their profiles have like milestones and they will show you on like the sidebar separately. Like this was your 25th platinum. This was your 50th platinum. And they will do that for your hundredth platinum. So you want it to be something kind of, kind of worth shouting out. And uh, my 50th platinum was Outer Wilds, which is another one of my all time favorite games. And so it kind of feels like I've set this pace of every 50 or so. Uh, I want it to be. Some, some some game that I really care about, or some game that I really like. I don't I don't want it to be just some random thing. You know, I don't want it to be Glay Lancer on <laughs> PS4. It's got to be yeah. something a little more meaningful. Uh, Gl- Glay Lancer is good, to be clear. It's a good shoot 'em up, but yeah, it's it's no Platinum Trophy 100. Um, so I do have I do have a plan mapped out that I think will, you know, take me to a couple different places and hopefully land on something something special. What about you? Do you have things charted out? Do you know kind of what your path forward will be i do i do have a pretty um specific plan definitely with some wiggle room i'm not gonna say like i'm at 87 right now and i don't have the exact you know 13 or whatever platinums mapped out to this point because again a god of war ragnarok is going to come out the callisto protocol that i might be like you know what trophy list is pretty good for this one i might want to pop the platinum Mm -hmm. on this so i definitely want to leave some room because i know it's going to change and evolve as i continue to make my way closer to 100 but the biggest kind of rule that I've made for myself is that when I popped, what was it, the 82nd or 83rd, I, I'm obviously not going to talk myself out of this because I know you're going to give me crap and everyone else in the world. I got the <laughs> My Name is Mayo 2 Platinum. <laughs> Ryan was over one night and we were talking about my Platinums and my Road to 100 and he's like, well, let's just pop this one right now for you. I'm like, no, I, I, I'm tired of getting like the Foxy Lands of the world and the My Names of Mayos. <laughs> like I need a pure final 20 here to get to 100 and he took the controller because he's notably or infamously known for playing like cookie clicker and some of these random nonsense games on his phone Mm -hmm. and so he you know immediately got the my name is mayo 2 plat so that was my 82nd but i made a promise to myself that at 83 through 100 has to be like the purest of trophy platinums that i can possibly get ones that are actually meaningful some of them you know have a nice challenge to them and the 100th especially has to be special. And I too frequent PSN profiles. I don't know if I've ever gone to your profile or not. It kind of remains to be seen. Oh, but yeah. it is interesting okay. <laughs> the number of stats that PSN profiles tracks. One of them is how many times your profile has been visited. And while I can't <laughs> yes. really track the IP address or anything like that, 303 times is the number of times my PSN profile has been visited. And I just have to wonder... How many times of that 303 <laughs> was my pal Blink? Yeah, probably only about 300 of those, I would okay. say. I mean, I don't okay. know how often you keep it up, but you know, I, I, I've got 465 views on my profile, too, and I'm starting to suspect <laughs> that you maybe take a gander. You know, we out ourselves because uh, sometimes you know, Glay Lancer is a good example, you know? Rusty will will pop a Glay Lancer plat. He's desperate. He's scrambling for a platinum that night. He needs something, and he'll pop a Glay Lancer. And then I'll go in and I'll see 
Oh, it popped a Glalancer. Oh, let me let me take a look at this Glalancer. This is a game I've been interested in anyways. Oh, you know what? I'll get that. And then I will realize, oh, wait a minute. Glalancer has a PS4 and a PS5 version, separate trophy lists. <laughs> I pop them both. And then what do you know? A week or two later, you go back and check on Rusty's. Oh, he he decided to go back and pop the other version of Glalancer. Wonder why he didn't do that right away. That's very interesting to me. Oh, it's so true. <laughs> and if there was, I think at the very top of your PSN profile count or a profile, it says like the average number of trophies that you unlock per day based on when you started unlocking trophies and the number you have. I unlock on average 1.8 trophies a day. I average visiting Blink's personal PSN page through PS5 at least 2.5 times per day. <laughs> it's not it's not tracked, but I have to admit it's very frequent uh, that I I pop over. Well, what's 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 Pete blinking on, or what, what's uh, Blink beating on? You know what kind of <laughs> what kind of trophies he trophies he working on? And then you know it's the worst of it is when you're unlocking on PS3 and I can't see it live. And then I just wake mm. up the next day and I'm like, what the heck? Saw on PS3 based on the horror <laughs> flick? He just got 35 <laughs> new trophies and one of them was a platinum? Where did that come from? Mm. Good game. You should you should check it out. It, it is very good. I mean, I did the same thing to you. I, I, I would say I almost never boot up my PS5 without being like, well, you know, I might as well quick pop over to, to Rusty's profile and see, see what he's working on. I mean, you just... To see if there's any, anything sparks joy over there. And, <laughs> oh, I, we do this so often. I mean, famously, you called me one day when you were trying to to creep on me. That was the people hilarious. <laughs> it, it was like 1045, 11 o'clock at night or something like that. Lauren was sitting on the couch. It was late at night. I was probably trying to figure out what to play. I saw you were online <laughs> playing something that I'm like, oh, well, I wonder what kind of trophy list that game has. So I popped in your profile and the... This is just poor design. This is poor UI. Sony, PlayStation, if you're listening, I know you are. Some rep out there has to go in and change this because when you click on someone's profile, the first button that you can press is join voice chat. Yeah. (laughs) Instead of like going down to click on like their trophy list or their profile or whatever. And so I hit the little microphone icon and it's like calling blink. And I'm like, shit, no, we got to back out. No, we can't do this. I'm like, Lauren, Lauren, I'm calling, I'm calling blank. She's like, what do you mean? It's 1045 at night. I'm like, I pressed the wrong button. I pressed the wrong button. Abort, abort. And then out of nowhere, I just hear, hello. (laughs) You join the call and immediately I'm just, you know, head between my knees, tail between my legs. Hey, Steve. Uh, Um, yeah, 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 buddy. I, how you doing? I'm I'm good, Rusty. It's it's 10:45 at night. What are you doing, buddy? Why are you calling me? You got some. You got a you got a really important question to ask me. Um, yeah. Uh, so I accidentally <laughs> called you because I was uh, well, admittedly, I was just trying to check your trophies, and <laughs> thankfully, you're a good guy. You kind of we kind of laughed it off, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'll ever live that one down. Hmm. It will be one of my favorite. Uh... Favorite trophy memories for a long, long time. I mean, in your defense, they like you were saying, that UI poorly designed, and there's no confirmation. You hit join party, boom, you're in there Done. and calling them. It's like, yep. I can only imagine anyone who has kids, all right? Those kids must be calling every single person they've ever played uh, Destiny <laughs> 2 with in their life. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. 
yeah, mm. so definitely a fun little memory in our trophy collecting journeys. But I want to hear, you know, you, you kind of briefly alluded to it. You have a bit of a roadmap laid out. You're at 93 now. What what kind of roadmap have you begun to kind of carve out for yourself and your road to 100? Yeah, so there's different like spots that I'm filling here. And, you know, this is all subject to change, subject to flex. I am like you. Uh, I am trying to avoid the really easy uh, platinum trophies. Like, you know, I think our competition is at its most fun when we occasionally, you know, we pepper one in here and there to maybe make up some ground, but it's at its most fun when we're grinding on games that we both really love. Yep. Right. And so a lot of what I wanted to focus on is stuff that I know I will like, or in some cases, some some cleanup. That's another thing that I've really liked about our competition is it inspired me to go back and get some of the platinum trophies that have been hanging out there for a long time. For sure. Yeah. That I didn't get. So I'll run you through kind of each of these that I think I'm going to think I'm going to potentially do. Platinum 94. I wanted to go back and do uh, a cleanup of the recently uh, released PS5 version of what remains of Edith Finch. Now, this is a pretty easy platinum, uh, but what I like about this is one: what remains of Edith Finch? Phenomenal game, short, very sweet, uh, very well, very bittersweet. It's just one one of my favorites, an indie gem for sure. Um, the PS4 version that I originally played didn't have a platinum. It was one of those games that had like oh. eight or, eight or nine gold trophies, and that was it. It was just a one hundred percent completion. And when they released the PS5 version, it has the same trophy list, but they added a platinum trophy to it. And so this feels like a really good opportunity to go back, circle back in on a game that I really like, and actually get the platinum um, for as a representation of uh, really enjoying it. Plus, you know, it's not a hard platinum. It takes an hour or two to get once you've already beaten the game, which I have. So okay. I good think we'll stuff. go in and that'll, be, that'll probably be the easiest, the lowest hanging fruit. Okay. Uh-uh. I like it. Yeah. 95. I'm putting a flex spot in here for God of War Ragnarok. I'm assuming I'm going to like God mm-hmm. of War Ragnarok quite a bit. I did get the platinum in the first God of War. And uh, it, I, I would guess Sony has a pretty good reputation about making their first party games pretty doable trophy lists. They want you to like do and see everything, but they don't want it to be too difficult because I think that they use their trophy lists sometimes as like an introduction to the trophy system. Mm-hmm. They want people to play through the game and then go look at their trophy list and see, Oh, I only, I'm only missing two or three trophies and then go back and do a little bit of cleanup, get that platinum, get that dopamine hit and be like, Oh, I kind of liked that. That was pretty nice. So I'm optimistic. I haven't looked up the trophy list, but I'm optimistic that God of War Ragnarok will have a pretty reasonable one. Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to knock that one out. Is that one on your plan too? It's not definitively in my list. So I'll just quickly say without going into the games yet, I have eight must-haves because, again, I'm at 87, okay. so I have a little bit more of a road to go. Um, eight, like, non-negotiable. These have to be part of my top 100. And then I still have, like, five TBD. And God okay. of War Ragnarok could certainly fit in and kind of squeeze in there as one of the five to be determined just because I didn't get the original 2018 God of War Platinum. Um, I did at this point, I'm probably not going to go back and clean it up. It'd probably be like an after the fact post 100 I go back and get, especially mm. if I do pop the Ragnarok Platinum. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. The, the first one, if you were going back in having not played um, 
your save file in 2018 in a while, it would be kind of rough because you have to go back and get a bunch of collectibles and do some extra stuff. And if you're not super familiar with that world, it can be, yeah, it can be a little bit brutal. Um, so that'll be my number 95. I think number 96, uh, if you know, it doesn't have to fall on number 96, but I think we both agree. We want to clean up that operation tango. Heck We've been yeah, working buddy. on this co-op game together. We've been doing our bro op. We are halfway through our second playthrough. So we're not too far away from, uh, getting all the trophies we need. I think we're both pretty close in it. And really at this point, just need story trophies and maybe one or two little miscellaneous ones that are very easy to clean up. But I think that we'll definitely find the time to squeeze that in somewhere before 100. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Very fun. And, and you know, maybe we'll even keep going on the DLC because it's just, it's a really chill game. Very, very fun to just hang out for an hour or two and and talk about whatever while we solve some little puzzles. So good. Yep. Completely agree. Number 97. Uh, this is one that I'm already halfway through. Kind of a comfort food game for me. Hades. So oh, I played okay. this. My original Hades save file was on Switch. And I bought the PS5 version of Hades for uh, Leah, actually, because she is a much bigger Hades fan than I am. She's played hundreds and hundreds of hours. And I was like, if you're going to be into Hades this much, I mean, one, play the like highest res version you can on home consoles. The Switch version's a little blurry. Let's let's upgrade you to them, them nice high res visuals. Appreciate this Hades art for what it is. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, too, you can get some trophies. And she's like, you know what? Maybe I will get that platinum trophy. And then I started watching her play and I got jealous. And I was like, I'm going to start a Hades file too. And I'm going to start getting a platinum trophy. <laughs> so I've I've done a bunch of runs in it already. I think I've escaped like seven or eight times. So I'm well on my way. That'll just be a time consuming one. But I think that before 100, I can, I can get that one down. And that's a game that I really, really love. You know, again, it was my number one for the year that it came out. So uh, I think it would be good to have that in my 100. Yeah, no, that'd be a really solid one for sure. For 98, this one's kind of a flex spot. I want to do, you know, we're both 3D platformer fans here. I want to do a 3D platformer that I don't have the platinum on. And I'm kind of torn between, uh, do I go back and do I get the platinum on Jack and Daxter? Precursor oh, Legacy. Yeah, that's one a good my, one. One of my all-time favorites, and I've never played the PlayStation version. So, no, that would be real comfort food. That's If I need, like, a break glass in case of emergency, you know, work is stressful, life is stressful. I just need something real cozy to play. Probably go back and get that Jack and Daxter, the first one's platinum. Or if we don't do that and I'm looking to explore something that I actually haven't played before, uh, I wouldn't hate doing the first Sly Cooper and getting oh, that platinum trophy. It's a series yes. I've never played before despite my love for for trophies or my love for trophies my love for 3d platformers yeah i have both of them actually funny little uh fun fact sly cooper and the thievius raccoonus on the ps3 remastered collection was my first platinum trophy ever excellent that's a good first platinum trophy very representative of your tastes Mm -hmm. yep for sure i like it so one of those 3d platformers will be my 98th i think for my 99th, this is my redemption arc here. I have two games that have been sitting on my profile forever that I did not, that I'm one or two trophies away. You know, often this happens. Trophy lists, you'll get everything and then there'll be like a trophy for uh, do a speed run of the game Ugh, or yeah. play the game on the unlockable hardest difficulty. And those are the things that keep you from from ever going back and getting the platinum, but I want, I want to redeem myself and I want to get it. So 
I have two choices. Either uh, Solar Ash, uh, which is a very colorful, very interesting game. It actually has both of those. It has a speed run and a hard difficulty trophy. I have a save file that's halfway through the hardest difficulty, so I could clean that up and then use the the like yeah, the muscle memory from that to to switch it to easy and do a speed run and then the other one that fits into the same slot is kina bridge of spirits a game i know that we both oh, love yeah phenomenal game uh, but very difficult at parts uh it's just the trophy for that master mode difficulty that's holding me back so i would not hate uh going back and and cleaning that one up too okay that's a good one and you know for me i totally cheated and got the platinum they've since patched in originally you could have like set to the hardest difficulty done this glitch to warp to the very end of the game like reset your save and then the 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 trophy pops for beating it on the hardest difficulty and admittedly like if i if i couldn't still glitch that out which which was patched like 10 days after launch i don't know if i'd ever go back and get the platinum on that but it's one i'm happy to have and if you grind it out because those are there are some really challenging bosses in that game that are like dark souls levels of difficult man that that'd be a great one to add add to your list just before popping the 100th yeah that'd be uh, i think a good one and you know even though I, I would have done that glitch too if i hadn't missed out on it but if i was forced to go through and grind this master difficulty on my own i would absolutely rub it in your face which is <laughs> all the sweeter oh um, yeah you have to you have to and that brings us to 100. So there's a couple of different options I have for 100. I actually haven't settled on what my 100th is going to be. It's a three-way tie at this point. One, The one that I would most like it to be that I think is the most fitting for me is Super Meat Boy, mm, a game yeah. that I love. I've played a ton uh, for a long time was my favorite game ever, is absolutely one of my probably top five favorite games ever. Really big fan. The problem is that that trophy list is notoriously difficult. Like if mm. you look up lists of, you know, top 10 hardest platinum trophies, Super Meat Boy is almost inevitably going to be on that list because there's trophies for beating each of the worlds, the light worlds and the dark worlds, beating all 20 stages without dying one time. Oh. And so it's just, it's a, it's a grind. Now I've done a lot of those. I've actually done all the light worlds and half of the dark worlds successfully without dying so i have like two-thirds three-quarters of the trophies in this game but obviously you know the ones i still have left are the the three or four hardest worlds that i've never even come close to doing and so while i think that that would be really uh like a very sweet as my 100th platinum you know maybe maybe we might have to keep working at super meat boy over time and save that for our 1000th platinum you know yeah put that one a little bit down the road so then wow. it comes down to two two other games. One is The Last Guardian. So oh, yeah. I'm a huge eco fan. I'm a huge fan of everything that that Team Eco, the Gen Design Studio makes. And I have the platinum for Eco, and I have the platinum for Shadow of the Colossus. I have the 2018 remakes platinum. But I don't have the platinum for Last Guardian. So that would feel like... You know, one very representative of my tastes. Last Guardian yep. was one of the games on my games of the decade list and a game I absolutely adore and, you know, fitting to close off that trilogy. So I think that that would be a really solid one. Uh, the other one that I'm leaning on right now is, you know, as I don't know, m- maybe some potential spoilers for game of the year time, but I've been pretty vocal about it. 
uh, a game that I like truly cannot sing the praises of enough is Tunic. And with Outer Wilds having been my 50th Platinum, uh, I think like a another like kind of premier indie game that really connected with me as my 100th yeah. is is pretty fitting and, and fits the pattern pretty well there. So, uh, and plus it's a really fun game. I'd love to replay it on PlayStation. Uh, and I would not mind doing that even again before the end of the year, honestly. So what one of those three will be my 100th. That's a great, great list of, of games rounding out the 100 uh, and certainly leading up to it. And I, I totally agree. I think either of those three games, well representative of your taste and gosh, what a fitting way to pop the 100th plat. Any any three of those, I think, would be great. Yeah, I'm I'm quite excited. So I, it's going to be fun. You know, obviously, this is all subject to change. We will new games will come out that I wasn't expecting, and uh, or I'll play something that I really like, and then I realize, oh, I'm pretty close to getting that platinum. I might as well clean that up. So yeah. some of these may move around. I think that the 100th will be one of those three for sure. But there's a little bit of a little bit of room to negotiate. So let, I'm curious about yours though. What are what are those uh, games that you're absolutely going to squeeze into your what is it? Uh, you have 13 you need to get now? Yep. So I'm at 87 now. So about 13 before I get that 100th plat. And super fluid for me in terms of when I unlock these um, in the order that I unlock them. And again, I have eight that I consider must-have games, five TBD because I want to add some wiggle room just in case, again, God of War Ragnarok, Callisto Protocol, a lot of great games coming out in early 2023 as well that might sneak into the the 100 Platinums here. But one that I've been working on behind the scenes and Ryan has been helping me quite a bit because he's kind of the master when it comes to Dark Souls, Bloodborne type games um, in the Souls series. And Dark Souls Remastered, I am one trophy away. I just need to get wow. the other ending that I don't yet have. Um, so just kind of need to breeze through beat a couple of the bosses honestly i could probably knock that out in just a few short hours i just haven't gotten around to it yet so um and kind of what my idea is as i kind of ramp up here to the 100 like any series that i'm just a tremendous fan of the the FromSoft dark souls type of games being one of them that is not yet represented in my 100 platinums mm. i'm really gonna try and sneak a game in that series into these final 13 is kind of my my objective if you will that makes sense and i think dark souls is a great one uh for anyone to have on their list and especially you as a as a noted dark souls enjoyer you know you know maybe sometimes a little overshadowed by ryan but we know you like him too and <laughs> yeah. that's, a, that's a doozy of a platinum i mean that's one that you can hold high hold proud yeah there's definitely some collectible things that ryan kind of showed me the ropes because he got it um He's kind of notably gotten it in Dark Souls 1, 3. He's working on Sekiro now, actually, because of a co-worker of his is, is kind of going to get the platinum before him. And he's like, no, 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 no. I can't have that. <laughs> so he's hard at work. I understand that mentality, yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Dark Souls Remastered, I think that'd be a good one to have on my list. The next one, I was... So I'm a big fan of Telltale's The Walking Dead. Um I notably bought you um, like 400 boxes of Sour Patch Kids and sent them to your house in <laughs> yep. an effort to get you to play season two of The Walking Dead. And I'm hoping that you eventually play season three. I think it's called A New Frontier in the final season to see 
uh, the rest of Clementine's journey because it's so dang good. And unfortunately, the Telltale games are kind of known for every time you beat a chapter, um, you unlock a trophy. And all you really have to do is beat the game, play it to completion, you unlock the platinum. Well, for whatever reason, Telltale thought, hey, let's mix it up for the final season. Let's have a trophy list and build one out that requires you to play through the game multiple times, make critical conversation decisions that lead you down one path. You have to get some collectibles over there to unlock a trophy. But if you want to get the platinum, you're going to have to make a different dialogue choice to take you on a separate path to get Mm. different collectibles to unlock a trophy there. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have to literally get multiple different cloud save states to get these trophies to unlock. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be a pain. But for the love of Clementine, for Lee, I got to do it. And then I I thought, you know what? I have that Walking Dead Telltale Definitive Collection that has all of the seasons on one disc. And that one, while it's going to be a bit of an effort because I'm going to have to play through all four seasons again, season four on that disc, the trophy list only requires you to play through the game in its entirety and you unlock all the trophies associated with it. So yeah, it's a bit of a trade off. Yeah, it is. It really is. Like, what do I want to do? Just, you know, create multiple save states, be a little frustrated, get these collectibles, follow a guide. Or do I just want to play through the entirety of the series again? And I landed on the latter because my wife really is not into these types of games. Not so much telltale story driven adventures, but more so just the spookiness of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so her and I going to pop some popcorn, sit on the couch, controller in my hand. I'm going to play through the entirety of it so that she can enjoy those sweet, sweet Telltale Walking Dead stories. That That is a great, uh, a, another, a really good example, again, of using this run up to 100 for a series that uh, you you love and want represented, right? Again, you're, you're wild enough to send candy to people's house to get them <laughs> to play uh, these games. I mean, you say you want me to play three. I, I ran out of Sour Patch Kids, buddy. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> I so. can restock. I can restock as long as your tongue hasn't gone completely numb. I can. Uh, I can restock. Yeah, we're we're looking good, but uh, I I think that one makes a lot of sense for you, and I'll be, uh, I'll be I'll be happy to see you pop that one. Yep. So, gotta fit that one in with the one hundred, and then next up, I think it's kind of known. I think Naughty or not Naughty Dog, but Sony First Party Studios. You kind of said this earlier. Have gotten really good at building out their trophy list for their first party games, like mid to late PS4 generation and on. And recently the somewhat divisive last of us part one remake came out Mm. and that trophy listing is light years ahead, easier to get and pop the platinum on than the original game where you had to play it on multiple difficulties, the hardest difficulty online trophies. It was kind of a mess and naughty dog took note. And they built out a relatively easy platinum trophy for the remake. The last was part one. I actually did not play until 2019. And it quickly became one of my favorite games of all time. And fortunately for me, I didn't have to wait too long to play part two. Um, ideally, I'd, I'd pop both part one and part two. Um, I'm a little bit more reluctant to play through part two. Just how how emotionally traumatizing that story is. Yeah, um, I agree. And, and for how long it is to get through that game. It's like, you know, 25, 30 hours. Um, mm. And following a guide for collectibles on that one would just kind of be a bit of a slog. 
And again, just emotionally a really heavy game to get through. So Last was Part 1 remake. Definitely want to get that one in um, somewhere before I pop the 100th plat. So good one. Good one. And it'll be fun to fun to go back and revisit that one. I haven't picked up that uh, yet, but I like it. Yep. So I'm, I'm excited to get that one eventually. And then one that you have definitely teased me to no end about. I have one <laughs> trophy that I still need to unlock. A oh, good yeah. friend of the show, Josh Prep. He recently beat this game on Switch. Everyone knows I am Ukulele's biggest fan. Biggest cheerleader since the 3D platformer came out um, many moons ago. And when its sequel of sorts came out, Impossible Layer, the Donkey Kong Country-like 2D platformer, I absolutely loved this game. Inventive level design, fun little 2D adventure with my pals Yuka and Laylee. But my word, the difficulty spike on that final impossible <laughs> layer level is brutal and I don't really have much history playing stuff like Super Meat Boy where, you know, very precise platforming type games and I've never been able to get through that. So I have to, for the betterment of trophies, yes. to for ukulele, Yuka and Lele, I've got to get this platinum blank. I just got to do it. <laughs> uh, as much as it will be sad for you to take away this carrot that I dangle in front of you constantly, that I have more ukulele platinums than you. Uh, you do absolutely need to get it. And I will say, I think you'll be able to do it. If you sit down with like a focused mindset and you say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this level. I'm going to eventually get through it. You know, t- take your lumps where you get them. I think that within a couple of hours, honestly, you would get through that level. Yeah, no, I agree. I just really have to sit down and I have to knock it out. Have to do the RNG. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll pop that platinum here in the near term. One that I don't know if I can do, but I really, really want to add this one to my 100 list is Dark Cloud. You talked about it earlier. Mm. And the only trophy that's really going to give me trouble is I think it's missable from what I've been reading. I think over the course of the game, you have to talk to certain people. And it's kind of like this fetch questy thing of sorts that's a bit of a domino effect where you talk to this person who sends you to that person who eventually sends you to this other person and you have to get some type of item that i think you tag to one of your weapons or something like that um i don't know the exact trophy name i just know that like i've gotten to the very end of this game and i was never following a guide with that in mind so i don't know if it's going to force me to replay this game in its entirety which wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing, but I don't really want to have to do that in order to unlock the platinum. I think you might, you should look into it when the time comes because uh, Dark Cloud is a platinum that I went back and cleaned up not too long ago. I don't actually remember the details of this trophy, unfortunately, because, um, you know, I played through it on stream and I, I was not playing through it with a guide or with any eye to trophies at all. I was just playing through it to play through the game. And then when I went back, I was like, oh, I should go see how doable it is to clean up that list. I was able to boot up my essentially at the end of the game save file, you know, run back out of the final dungeon and go clean up the things that I'd missed. So either okay. I either I lucked into getting that or I was able to to go back and actually just do whatever steps you needed to do to, to get that trophy. Okay, well, be on the lookout. I might have to slip in your DMs and get some tips and tricks to figure mm-hmm. out how to do that one. But um, yeah, I feel like that'd be a really good one 
to add to my list. Um, I didn't play Dark Cloud until just a couple short years ago when our good pal Pete Dore was speedrunning it. And I'm like, I, I need to play this game. And uh, didn't disappoint. Really good. Really good. And yeah. I need to get around to playing that Dark Cloud 2 someday. But I'll get around to it. Next up, Operation Tango. You mentioned it already. For all the reasons you described and then some, have to add this one to my list of 100 Platinums. Such a great game. Just an incredible experience playing this one when you were streaming it and we were kind of playing together live on Twitch. Mm -hmm. Just a really good time. And if you haven't played Operation Tango, find a friend. If you don't have one, give me a call, okay? I'll play Operation Mm -hmm. Tango with you. It's so good. So good. So, so good. That'll be fun. And then two more here. Um, I talked about wanting certain series represented in my 100 plats. The Uncharted series has kind of been notorious for some relatively challenging list trophy lists. A lot of them have you speed running certain levels, speed running the game, playing it on crushing difficulty. It's no easy feat. But the one Uncharted game that I'm just like three to four trophies away from unlocking the plat is arguably up there is maybe the best Uncharted game, maybe top two for me, and that's Lost Legacy. Oh, it's so good. I actually don't know what the list is like, but I I could not encourage a uh, a replayer, a cleanup of that one any harder. Good pick. Yeah, really big fan of this one. And when the Legacy of Thieves kind of collection of Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy came out, I think earlier this year, I played through both of them. Always a fun revisit. Lost Legacy, especially with Chloe and Nadine, just a dynamic duo. So dang good. Yeah. And the, the trophy list actually isn't too bad. Um, mostly just, you know, killing a number of enemies with certain weapons, getting all the treasures, all that kind of stuff. The only ones that are going to be a little bit challenging are you have to play the game up until chapter five without ever firing or using a weapon. Um, oh, wow. So I just have to prioritize a bit of a stealth playthrough. And then the other one that's a bit challenging is just beating the game on crushing. So that'll be two separate save states probably that I have to work through. Um, but I definitely want to do it because I think this would just be a great one to have on the list. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. And uh, any it, Uncharted is a series that I always think like, man, it would be great to have all the Uncharted Platinums, but it would just take, it would take way too much for me to ever go get all of them. So having one as a representation, that makes sense. Yep. So I think that'd be a good one. And then last, but certainly not least, I have a couple ideas of what I want to be 100, which depending on how fast I want to get there, I feel like Impossible Layer might end up being a possible 100th plat for me. Yeah. The other two, most people that are familiar with my podcast, familiar with my YouTube channel, know that I'm a huge fan of Kingdom Hearts. And I think any trophy collectors out there know that the Kingdom Hearts series notably has some pretty challenging platinum trophies, trophy lists associated with them, especially the first Kingdom Hearts remaster as part of the you know 1.5, 2.5 HD collections. I'd yeah. love to get this one. I have quite a bit of work ahead of me if I'm actually going to pop the plat. You need to beat the game on proud difficulty. You need to do a speed run of the game in under 15 hours. You also need to play the game without ever changing your keyblade or equipment. Um, so just a couple really challenging ones that, you know, I never play Kingdom Hearts with a speed running, you know, hat on, right? And one mm-hmm. of the best things about Kingdom Hearts is 
unlocking new keyblades, outfitting Sora with those, kind of experimenting with them over the course of the game. So not doing a lot of that stuff would make the game, I mean, admittedly, just less fun, right? Yeah. Um, but I feel like this is like my super meat boy for you. Like I just, ah, it would be the perfect game to represent my 100th plat, I feel like. Yeah, I agree. Is If you were going to do that one, is that something that you would probably be slowly chipping away at over the course of however long while you get these other platinums in the meantime and then just pop that final trophy if and when the time comes? Exactly right. Yeah, and I've already started to work on a critical playthrough um, kind of behind the scenes. And Kingdom Hearts for me is such a cozy comfort food game. Like, stressful day, having a great day, regardless Jumping yeah. into that world, wandering around with some of my favorite Disney movies um, in a Kingdom Hearts form is is always a good time to me. Um, the more challenging one's going to be the speed run. So I'm um, going to have to follow a guide for that for sure. But if that's too challenging, Kingdom Hearts 3 is always a nice fallback because that one isn't too terrible. Um, it's more just a, a few select trophies where you have to beat a boss and do some other kind of weird things that... Again, we'll present a challenge, but I don't think as much of a challenge as Kingdom Hearts 1. No, I think you could definitely do it. That, that would be a fun one. I should go play Kingdom Hearts again, man. Uh, I Whenever I think of Kingdom Hearts, I'm like, you know, I imagine it being like a nice summer day. Mm. The windows are open. And it's like a little bit of warm sun beating in through the window. Yes. And the mu- uh, I'm just sitting there playing. The music for Traverse Town is going. And oh. it's just, does life get any better, man? No. No, it does not. Traverse Town. I agree. It's so good. Oh my gosh. Yoko Shimamura, you spoiled us. So true. So true. Um, Well, that was wonderful. So glad we could talk about trophies, our road to 100. Maybe we'll have to have you back on the podcast when we both pop the uh, the 100th plats so we can kind of reminisce about our journeys. I think that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, it'd be fun to look back across... uh together you know not every trophy but look back across our entire lists see you know where where there were patterns what we what we forgot about what we regret all that sort of stuff and then maybe do a little bit of uh you know looking forward to the future a little bit of life after 100 what comes next (laughs) exactly absolutely well some of my favorite trophies and platinums to unlock are tied to 3d platformers blank and we're both tremendous fans of the genre and if you can, you know, spend just a, f- a little bit more time with me, if you don't mind. Yeah, you, I do. You, you want to talk? You want to talk some 3D platformers, buddy? There's nothing I would love more than to talk some 3D platformers. All right. Well, we're gonna allow the listeners to go refill their beverages, take a nice cozy break, real quick, and then we'll be back to talk some 3D platformers.
All right, Blink, 3D platformers. We both love them. We both have been playing them, gosh, forever at this point. I mean, at least dating back, I would think, to the Nintendo 64, PlayStation 1. Do you remember the earliest mm-hmm. 3D platformer you ever played? Uh, it would have, by definition, it would have had to have been Mario 64 because, you know, the 3D platformer didn't really come into being in any meaningful way until the PS1 and 64 era. And the Mario 64 was my very first Nintendo 64 game. So it, it, you know, what, what a banger to start with, right? It certainly set a precedent. It absolutely did. And kind of set the bar high, but I think ever since Mario 64, uh, a number of great ones have come out, probably heavily influenced by Mario 64 and some of the other N64 greats. But uh, what I want to do today is talk through, I brought five, what I would consider hidden gems, underappreciated 3D platformers that probably not everyone knows about. So hopefully all the good listeners out there get some fun ideas. But I have to know, how many how many 3D platformers did you bring to the table to share today? I just brought Batland and Wonderworld five times. Is that, oh, hell yeah. Are we, are we good to talk about, as two noted Batland enjoyers, I think that we could fill another hour with that. I think we should seriously just spend the next 60 minutes talking about how great that game is. Um, it's it's good. All right, people. I'm here to tell you it's good. Uh, I also have five. Uh, now, some of these might be on your list. Uh, I tried to see, I, I made an educated guess going into this that you would probably bring me uh, a good amount of slightly more modern stuff, you know, mm-hmm. PS4 switch era stuff. So I tried to dip back a little more uh, into the ps1 ps2 ps3 era so i think some of these maybe some folks have heard of but haven't really looked into and other ones i think will be a surprise for for folks to learn about you are a very smart man i don't think i have anything on here pre ps4 because everyone talks about you know we just don't get enough 3d platformers nowadays and i would tend to agree but i think people would be surprised how many diamonds in the rough are actually out there just waiting to be played so Um, I have five that I can't wait to share with the good people, but uh, why don't you kick things off with your first? Yeah, I think my first and the most appropriate for the season, one that I know you and I have talked about many times, PlayStation 1 game, Muppet Monster Adventure. Oh, um, yes. A lot of folks out there are like, Muppets? I'm not, I'm not playing a Muppets game, but I'm here to tell you now, this is... If this was skinned with some other property or was it a completely original game, this would be one of the all-time greats. Mm-hmm. It's a very appropriate Halloween uh, 3D platformer. If you're looking for something to play in October, you know, maybe something to transition you from the spooky season into the non-spooky season. This is a good one because it's not scary at all, but it definitely has some Halloween theming, a bunch of monsters and stuff like that. Plays very similar to Spyro. And it's just, it, it has that good comfy feel of a PS1 3d platformer with all the with all the warping textures and like Mm. clipping triangles and everything that you'd ever want but it's it's like really like uh expansive worlds well made fun to explore uh, difficult but not impossible to collect everything basically everything you'd want from a 3d platformer excellent choice the only barrier to entry to this one is just the cost to get it um i have it's one of very few games that I have tagged as an eBay alert. So anytime someone lists the game, I get an email notification. Um, so I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get around to playing this one, but I did vicariously live through you because you you streamed this one a while back and you're absolutely right. Big Spyro energy watching you play this. 
And man, if I would have played this as a kid, I mean, it really would have been right up there with like the Banjo-Kazooie's and Spyro's of the world as one of my favorites, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, it, it stands toe-to-toe with all of those. Yeah. Great pick. Well, my first one, uh, funny enough, I feel like we had to squeeze some type of like spooky adjacent type of game in here. You mm-hmm. and I, great minds think alike. My first one is Pumpkin Jack. Oh, and nice. Came out pretty recently and you play as this little pumpkin lord himself. Uh, I think his name is just Pumpkin Jack, uh, as the name would imply. Having all of the Holly, Hall, Hall, Hollywood, not Hollywood, Halloween <laughs> undertones. Most of the environments you're going through are complementary to that. Your swamps, your graveyards, your Dracula-like castles. You have your double jumps. You have a decent number of collectibles, but not too much to be overwhelming. If you unlock a certain number of things, you can go to this guy and buy new fun little outfits for Pumpkin Jack. It's more of an action 3D platformer. You're running around these environments with a scythe. You unlock other weapons over the course of the game. You can beat it in about five hours. There's even a few like minecart type levels, kind of a callback to the DK64, Hmm. Donkey Kong countries of the world. And I think it was developed by like one guy. And the really cool thing is when the credits start rolling, there's just a bunch of over the course of development pictures. So you can see kind of the evolution. The evolution of how he iterated on the Jack character, the level design, just the overall assets of the game and how they changed over the course of development. So really fun one, great game to play during the spooky season, or as you were saying, to kind of transition you in or out of it. And I always got to talk about the music in 3D platformers. And Hmm. this one clearly inspired by Grant Kirkhope's work, who of course famously composed your Banjo-Kazooie's your golden eyes, your perfect darks. Um, yeah, just big Grant Kirkhope vibes with the soundtrack as well. So um, mostly the time you can probably get it on sale for like less than 20 bucks on Steam. You can also get this one on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. You can get the double plat if you so choose. Oh, you don't have to tell me twice. Now this, I, I'm glad you brought this one. This one has been on my potential October list for two years now. I think last year you you nudged me in the direction of this game and you're like, you got to check this one out. And I didn't quite make the cut. And then this year when I was paring down what I wanted to stream for October, it also didn't quite make the cut. So it's it's sitting there. It's in my queue. It's ready to be played. And it looks really fun. Yeah, you'd love this one. Heck yeah. All right, well, here's one that I know that we've both played, but other folks out there may not know that this is uh, quite as fun of a game as it actually is. And that's Toy Story 3 on the yes. PlayStation 3, 360, and Wii. Uh, so I know a lot of folks don't look at or give much love or attention to licensed games like this, uh, especially in this era where I feel like uh, it, this was one of the, I would say, probably one of the last like licensed games released in the in the era of uh, movie tie-in games existing for every movie that came out, people were kind of burned sure. out on it at this point, tired of seeing those on the shelf, and they kind of just like glossed over them. But Toy Story Three is like it is a real uh, like it's a real tour de force of of three D platforming. Lots of interesting variety in the levels, like yeah. high budget, some some like speed. You do these train levels that are going by super fast. There's stealth levels, lots of fun stuff to collect. It's got this big sandbox mode where if you want to take a break from the normal mission or level-based gameplay, you can pop over to the sandbox mode. 
and do a little bit more like kind of like uh, almost Grand Theft Auto meets 3D platformer, like structured open world 3D collectathon stuff. Very cool game. Uh, A lot of fun. And, you know, it's uh, available on all those platforms. So you probably have something in your house that could play it. Yeah, for sure. And actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, but recently as part of the PlayStation Plus kind of game catalog, whether it's premium or extra, whatever it is, they ported the PS3 game to PS4 and PS5 versions. So if you're ever hungry to get more trophies and replay Toy Story, you can always download that and on your PS5 blank. Heck yeah. That's just good stuff. Yeah. Love one, love the pick, almost included it. But instead, my number two pick, a game we've actually played together co-op. And it's such a household name for PlayStation at this point. I don't think people would expect this to be a hidden gem, but... I really don't hear anyone talking about it because I think it was overshadowed by the pack-in game when the PlayStation 5 launched. And that's Sackboy, A Big Adventure. <laughs> Buddy, I kid you not, that is the next one on my list. Is it really? Oh, yeah. When you See, when you were hyping up Toy Story 3, I thought you were going to include it. I thought that was what you were going to talk about next. No, yeah. it's uh, Again, we played this one together. It is a lot of fun co-op, but yeah, it is... In terms of like, is it a hidden gem or not? It's very much of the games that are on PlayStation. This is this is underlooked and underappreciated. I think a lot of the platforming love, rightfully in some ways, goes to Astro's Playroom, and uh, the, uh, but Sackboy is like just phenomenal. Very much like a 3D Mario, or like 3D Mario World style, mm-hmm. like A to B collectathon. Very fun. Yeah. And one of the, I think, more notable mechanics of this game or aspects of it is that over the course of the game, you collect all of these fun little costumes. And at the beginning of every level, you can kind of mix and match and outfit your little Sackboy character in just these like absurdly, criminally cute costumes for your character. Yes, so, adorable. So good. And one of the other things that's worth mentioning is just how much licensed music is present in this game. Like, if you ever could picture Sackboy running around these also absurdly detailed levels and environments with Bruno Mars jamming in the background. <laughs> it is yeah. weird, but it works. <laughs> you're you're going to find that in Sackboy, a big adventure. But the other thing I think that's worth calling out, you kind of mentioned it. We talked about it. You can play through the entirety of the game co-op. And it's something I'm hoping to do with Lauren uh, later this winter. Cause I feel like that's just a cozy platformer to play uh, during the winter season. So yeah beautiful too you know since it's Sackboy, boy little big planet it's a bunch of like textures and like yarny fibers and stuff like that mm-hmm. they're all rendered beautifully it just it looks so good yeah big fan Sackboy, big adventure you can get it on ps4 and ps5 highly recommended so so you that's your three so do you want me to jump in with my number three then yeah why don't you go ahead and, and, and rock your third one okay so my third I don't believe this is one you've played, but I'd love for you to stream it at some point. And that's Male Mole. <laughs> <laughs> this game looks so good. It is. I mean, I think the developers literally have called it, you know, it's not it doesn't have a physical version, but they call it a charming 3D platformer. And it absolutely is. If you're familiar with Monty Mole from the Mario series, mm-hmm. if he ever got his own game like Toad did and Captain Toad Treasure Tracker or whatever the, the subtitle to that was, this is what that game would be. Each level literally ends with you at a mailbox where it'll feature how fast you completed the level on a postcard. 
Um, like the developers definitely know what they were going for. They know what they're doing. And I really feel like they knocked it out of the park with this. And it's a little interesting because you, you do play as this mole, as the name would imply, and you spend most of the time burrowed underground. So it kind of creates a unique challenge in levels when making jumps because how long you hold down on the jump button will affect how high the mole jumps. And so creates a little bit of an interesting challenge. And like I was saying, each level, you're kind of timed and you're kind of rewarded at the end for going through the levels faster. And it kind of tears you, speaking of trophies, on a gold, silver, bronze scale. And speaking of platinum trophies as well, this is one I haven't been able to pop because you have to get the the fastest level trophy for each of the levels. Mm. And dang, it's tough. It's real <laughs> tough. But um, but yeah, visually, it's it's actually a bit bland, I would say, in its design. And even the the soundtrack, I mean, it's pleasant enough, but I think where the game really shines is its gameplay and just its charm. So I'm hoping you get around to streaming this one at some point. It's definitely on my list, yeah. Uh, and one that just looks... Sometimes you look at a game and you're like, I know I'm going to like this. I guarantee oh, yeah. that this is going to be up my alley, and it's very much that. So that's a good recommendation and one that I would encourage folks to check out. Yeah, but what are you coming in at number four here? All right, number four... Now, maybe in its day, it was not so much of a uh, hidden gem, but I think these days it's been long forgotten. And that is a little N64 platformer called Rocket Robot on Wheels. This oh, is excellent pick. One of the earliest, maybe the first, I'm not actually sure, game developed by Sucker Punch. It is a, It is on the Nintendo 64, and it is very much a Nintendo 64 collect-a-thon platformer. I think it feels to my tastes most similar to like a donkey kong 64 mm-hmm. in like the weight of the characters and the movement speed and stuff like donkey kong 64 it has these like massive open worlds to explore with all sorts of different stuff and like little mini games hidden everywhere you play as this little uh, robot who can transform into like different forms and, and do different objectives and things like that you're hunting down tickets and tokens and it's kind of to it's like everything I liked about Donkey Kong 64, but a little more bite-sized. It's still pretty mm. big and still expansive, but you know, Donkey Kong 64 for some folks can be a little overwhelming because there's just yeah. so much of it. This is like, what if, you know, what if an editor, you know, went in and cut some of the fluff out of Donkey Kong 64, you'd get Rocket Robot on wheels. You know, maybe not as high the quality as, as the King DK64, but oh, yeah. uh, you're still getting, you're still getting some pretty dang good meal to chew on. And yeah, it's, it's kind of tough too. It it was very much one that I could not find everything in. Uh, and so one that I will definitely go back and revisit. Tragically, another one, not dissimilar to Muppet Monster Adventure that is at this point, I think essentially just trapped on the Nintendo 64. So tracking down a copy affordably might be a little bit of a challenge, but if you happen to have it and haven't looked into it, or if you are a fan of 3d platformers, I would say, check this one out. Great pick. It's one I was fortunate enough to pick up before it kind of skyrocketed, no pun intended, in price. And I have a card-only copy. It's sitting over there. I can see it on the shelf with this bright little red cartridge. Um, I love to get around to it. And my gosh, just to see how Sucker Punch has evolved as a developer to go from this to Sly Cooper yeah. to eventually Ghost of Tsushima. Crazy stuff. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Nothing um, but talent. Yep. But great pick. Love it. Hoping to get around to playing this one at some point. 
The next game on my list, I feel like this is maybe more than any other game on my list, harkens back to the N64 and not being an N64 game with its collect-a-thon, 3D platforming roots, and that's Castle on the Coast. Now, mm. I don't think you've played this one yet, if I'm not mistaken. No. Is this the uh, the one with like the giraffe main character? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You play as George the giraffe. And I think unlike really any other 3D platformer I've played before, you have the ability to parkour around um, a really nice variety of levels that are super vibrant, super colorful. It's all kind of hand-drawn animation um, in this game. And it's just a goofy, goofy game. Starts where you're playing this little guy named George, this little giraffe. You sail to this little castle on the coast, and you get in the middle of an argument between these two wizards. And the writing in the game is terrific. Super witty, self-aware, just ridiculous. And they're kind of having this argument, and the the funny thing about the giraffe is he actually can't speak. So he kind of just nods, makes fun, funny little noises, and naturally, as 3D platforming stories, stories typically go... These wizards get into an argument. They take these four little precious crystals that are on display in the castle, scatter them around to four distinct worlds. And George admittedly loves collecting things. So he's like, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to go out and collect these four crystals for you guys and kind of send you off on this fun little five to six hour adventure where you're parkouring around, collecting a heaping ton of things. Again, very N64 era type 3D platformer. And when I say parkour, the devs really took some liberties with the controls. And I don't know if this game will be for everyone. You pull up the reviews, they're not glowing. Um, The controls definitely feel pretty floaty, very loose. And you can literally cheese some of these levels by scaling up a wall vertically when that was definitely not the intention of of how you're supposed to play through and beat some of these levels. But like I was saying, humor and writing, really well done consistently adds new ways of kind of maneuvering around the levels you eventually unlock a jetpack suit and some levels are kind of very super monkey ball inspired where you're kind of running on this giant snow globe of sorts to kind of get through a level and you know collect more collectibles and there's even a a section of one level where you're hanging on a a hang glider kind of making your through making your way through so really goofy really fun i think if you can find this one for 15 bucks or less Highly recommended. You can get it on Switch, PS4, Xbox, and Steam. So uh, it's, a, it's a nice little gem of a platformer. That is a good pick, and you're making me want to go back and pick these up. All these that have been sitting, waiting in my PlayStation wish list, it, it, it might finally be time. It's a good I one. Wanted to, I wanted to pick an, a, a strange one for my last one that's a little bit different from 3D platforming proper, but I think still counts. And some folks may have played this around the launch of the Switch, but if you hadn't and it it went by you, I want to redirect your attention to it a little bit. And that is a more modern game called Snake Pass. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. So this is, it's, it's weird. When you think 3D platformers, you know, you think some little anthropomorphic character running around doing double jumps, you know, maybe a giraffe doing parkour up the wall (laughs) or whatever it might be. Uh, But in Snake Pass, you play as just a snake and it's very i think intentionally difficult to control they want the snake to be a little hard to maneuver so you can slither around uh it it is 3d environments and things like that there will be like posts or little you know outcroppings and things that you can then coil around 
and you have a little button that you can then use to like grip uh, as the snake onto those posts. And then while you're gripping, you can slither up to the next one. And it's all about just like sliding around, maneuvering up these like large castle type structures and these like various different temples and things like that. You have a little bird buddy who follows along with you and can lift up your tail to help you get up into any particular place. And the whole goal is to, uh, collect these different objects. There's kind of three sets of collectibles you're trying to find. There's you have to find these three items to get to the end portal of a level. Then there's these like 20 little like energy crystals that are sort of like your coins or something in a Mario that are mostly on the beaten path, but some of them are hidden and you have to do some, some, you know, moderately tricky movement or some exploration. You got to be diligent to find them all. And then there's these five golden coins that are always hidden in difficult out of the way spaces. I mean, you'll be having to like cling and like, dangle by your tail under the entire level and like barely use your momentum to swing over and land on a platform to get this coin whatever it might be uh and it's just it's weird in the and goofy in the way that uh playing anything with like kind of i don't want to say sluggish but just like kind of stubborn controls is and it's just a good time phenomenal music david wise composed the Mm -hmm. soundtrack i mean come Mm -hmm. on we can't say no to that. And it's just, yeah, it doesn't overstay its welcome. A lot of fun and a different twist on 3D platforming. That's an excellent choice. I I played about an hour of Snake Pass, and you're absolutely right. I mean, they got the snake physics done really well, locked yeah. in, but it presents a really unique challenge. Unlike anything I've ever played, and really feels like a product of the rareware days in like the late 90s like if this game came out on the n64 one i don't think it really would have worked because of the controls but it feels like like rare would have developed this game for like the original xbox or something yes, like that or the xbox yes. 360 when they got the rights um to develop games so um, i need to get back to this one this is one i have always wanted to get the platinum in um but you have to beat all of the levels without dying for one of the trophies <sighs> which would be really tough. That's really tough. Tough. I I died a lot in basically every level. <laughs> yeah, but one I want to get around to and you're absolutely right. There's actually a playlist out on YouTube. I listen to it at least once a week while I'm working and it's a 3-hour compilation of David Wise music and mm. there's a number of Snake Pass songs present in that playlist or compilation. It's oh, Chef's Kiss, Magic David Wise, he can't miss. Guys are legend. Yeah, absolute. Uh, number one. St- stands tall at the top of the mountain. For sure. And speaking of David Wise, he actually composed oh. the soundtrack to this next game. One that I feel like I'm the only one out in the wild singing its praises because it's sitting at a whopping 40 on Metacritic. And I think <sighs> undeservedly so. And that is Tamarin which you can get on PlayStation 4, you can get on Xbox, you can get it on Steam. Came out in September of 2020. And as far as I know, this is meant to be a spiritual successor to the N64. Can you can you call it cult classic at this point? Jet Force Gemini. Yeah. Yep. So in this game, you play as an adorable little Tamarin monkey. In the beginning of the game, your family gets captured by these giant bugs and you go on a quest to save them. And graphically, this game is absurdly polished. Like, it's ridiculous how good some of these environments look. 
One moment, you're wandering these beautifully detailed and colorful fields, collecting fireflies and other collectibles, and then things get so weird when you go into these warehouses guarded by these giant, like, beetles and ants, and you whip out, like, this cute little adorable monkey climbing on all fours or running all fours, gets on his two feet, whips out this little super soaker-looking pistol thing, and starts shooting these ants to try and get to the end of the warehouse to unlock one of the cages housing one of your family members. It's really weird. It's a bit jank, but oh my gosh, that I love this game when I played it. Um, I think maybe 2021, last summer maybe. It's so good. It was my favorite games that I played last year. And like I said, undeservedly, I think is sitting at a 40 on Metacritic. I will say there are some things to nitpick about this one. It's not all sunshine and roses when it comes to Tamaran. There's no way to teleport between areas. The whole game kind of takes place in this one big little hub world that's all interconnected. And so it can be really difficult and challenging to know where you need to go and where you're at. There are literal signposts scattered throughout the game that when you click X on or whatever the button is, it'll tell you the direction of certain areas. But outside of that, really challenging to know where you're supposed to go and there's no teleportation system. So it's there's a lot of backtracking. It can also be frustratingly difficult in the warehouse sections with some pretty punishing checkpoint systems. But those are really the two biggest things that I think hang this game back from being a really, really solid 3D platformer. Nothing warrants giving this game a 4 out of 10 in my eyes. And I think more people should be playing it. And I think this would be a really solid game for you to stream at some point. I. Again, as with many of these, this one, because of your enthusiasm, has been sitting proudly on my wish list waiting to be purchased and played. I definitely will say that I, I put more stock into your opinion as a fellow 3D platformer lover than I do the general uh, consensus, which seems a little overly harsh on this one. And it just looks so good. I mean, I, I would I would pay 5 out of 10 or 6 out of 10 just for that soundtrack, buddy. I've listened to it oh. before. It's not bad. Yeah, David Wise really went all out on that soundtrack. It's so, so good. So good that I actually went on Steam and bought the game again, full price, just so <laughs> I could get a copy of the soundtrack myself. Because as far as I've looked, there's nothing out there on the YouTube sphere that has like the complete soundtrack that you can like listen to. There might mm. be a song here and there, or if there's an actual like gameplay walkthrough, you can just hear the music through someone else playing the game. But I couldn't find the soundtrack anywhere, so I literally have bought this game twice just so I can have a copy of the soundtrack. It's that good. That's 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 the dedication that we approve of around here. Only something Ari Lewis twenty eleven would do. But you know what? They call me Ari Lewis twenty eleven for a reason. Truth, truth. I I think is that is that all of yours? That's all mine, my friend. I think ten great games for people to check out. You've got a nice wide variety of styles. Uh, but all sort of under that 3D platformer umbrella. You know, a nice wide variety of systems, of eras. Any platformer fan can leave with at least one thing to check out here, I think. I sure hope so. And definitely be sure to get in the Discord, write us a little note, let us know if you ever get around to playing some of these great 3D platformers. We'd really appreciate it. But with all that said, this has been a Campbell's Chunky episode. My <laughs> word, we're at nearly two and a half hours here with my good friend, Steve. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Did you have fun today? 
I had a blast. Anytime you want me to come back on, uh, I'll be happy to do so. I'll even try to bring you, you know, non-highway quality audio if I come <laughs> back in. I appreciate that. Uh, well, why don't you plug yourself one more time? Where can all of the wonderful people listening to this show find you out in the interwebs? Yeah. If you want to listen to any of my other two podcasts, either Polykill or IndieQuest. Polykill is a podcast all about beating video games. IndieQuest is a podcast all about playing indie video games. Uh, you can find both of those by name on whatever podcast platform you're using, or you can go to polymedianetwork.com, which is where all of the network's podcasts are hosted. Uh, and if you want to follow me, come hang out on the Twitch stream. You know, we're always having some fun. We do a variety of retro. We do some jank. We do some joy. Uh, a whole number of things. That's over at twitch.tv slash blinkoom. That ends in O-O-M-M like Muppet Monster Adventure. And the same name uh. on Twitter and also on YouTube where you can check out my game room tour and some other videos. Also Blinkoom over there as well. You're killing it out there. I've been loving the YouTube videos, by the way. Keep up the great work, my friend. So good. Oh. So Thank good. I have a love in the love in yours. We we anxiously await the next backloggery update review. Well, keep it out in there on Twitter. I'll probably be posting a poll pretty soon about which console we're going to go to next. But until then, my friends, I hope this episode found everyone well. I already plugged it once. I'll plug it again. Go check out the Discord. There's some fun conversations going on in there with some great people. Link is in the show notes below. I will be recording the spooky season memory of melody edition episode here in the next week or so a little bit late a little bit after spooky season but that's just because i wanted to squeeze in a action-packed episode with my pal blink today so be sure to be on the lookout for that episode 150 come into your podcast queues real <sighs> soon and ryan will be back here in the relatively near term to talk about all of the games he's been playing and just it's just going to be an opportunity for him and i to catch up because we just haven't been able to talk as much as we normally do. But I want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode and every episode prior if you're a longtime listener. And hey, if you're a first-time listener because you have we have the celebrity himself, the man, the myth, the legend, Blink, maybe you'll stick around. We have some great episodes planned in the near future. But until then, stay healthy, stay safe out there, keep playing those great video games, especially those 3D platformers, and we'll see you real soon. 